0: This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC, text 84850, Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of July. Yes, it really is Wednesday, the 22nd of July. Some stories in the papers today to either infuriate, amuse, make you chuckle a bit, and some of them you'll be thinking, dear God in heaven, why on earth has he done that story? Now, for example, the Manchester United wag Sam Cook shocked commuters on a train by allowing her dog to eat breakfast in first class. Disgusting. Uh, Wills' guilty guilty secret, a burger with an egg on top. Ooh, racy-pacy stuff. The psycho seagulls keeping out illegals. The chip shop boss taking his parking fine fight to the top. Fizzy pop fueling a surge in diabetes. And how we're falling in love with the British seaside. Isn't that great? I love the British seaside. It's, you know, buckets and spades and rocks shaped like willies and stuff like that. You know, anything really. It's all coming in from abroad, apparently. And then yesterday... And uh, actually, a couple of things. I've got another problem with the DHL parcel, so I might need help again this morning from my friends at DHL. This is the, this is, be warned, if you order from America and you order from, in fact, quite a number of people from America, if you're ordering clothes and things like that, the stipulation is that it can only be delivered to you. And I only discovered this first time round with DHL, who normally you sort of you, you pick up the phone and you say, oh, can I get uh, it redirected or felling that make it easier? I'll come and collect the parcel. And uh, they're always very good. So this time round, I get this parcel. I tried to get it redirected and I couldn't do it. It wouldn't it wouldn't allow me to do it um, because it said on there you've got to have uh it's, you've got to need. You need to speak to the person who's sending the parcel. It's not DHL's problem. It's just that they're kind of stuck with it because they can only deliver to the person who is named on the docket, which of course is a slight problem if you're like me when you don't know when you're going to be home. You know, I do get home at some point, but it, it never seems to be convenient. So the last time round, you remember. Uh, In the end, some very kind people at DHL, who were listening, uh, said, listen, give us a tracking number, we'll make sure you can come and collect it from from the, uh, the actual centre, which is up by Heathrow Airport, which made it so much easier. So yesterday, the second attempt to try and deliver my DHL parcel, then I hit on a wheeze. Yesterday, they were there at quarter past five, and I thought, I'll tell you what I'll do, I'll wait downstairs at about quarter to five, and then I'm guaranteed not to miss them. And I'll check on the other thing I got on the Monday, as to what time they came then. And if it says quarter past five, I'm quids in. They must be doing me on the way back. So I checked on the thing, quarter past one. So I'm kind of a bit caught on this one now. So I was going back onto, my, uh, onto the emails, trying to find out who I'd uh, spoken to before. And I think it was Alan Wormsley. I think so. And um, I just supplied the uh, the number and then they sort of arranged to not send it out on the van, because it's a pointless exercise for everybody. They're wasting paper. Keep putting a thing through the, uh, through the letterbox. So hopefully today I might actually manage to, uh, to get there, although I suspect it'll be tomorrow, because I've got stuff to do today, so it's a little bit difficult. So that was yesterday's slight problem. So uh, if it is Alan Wormsley, and, um, and he, he, he thinks he can sort it out again for me, that I'd be very grateful for. Uh, the other thing was, uh, when I left here yesterday morning, Uh, I always get exactly the same train every day. It's a quarter to eight train and it gets me in about 20 past eight. It's a nice leisurely trawl through the countryside. So yesterday I arrived back at Waterloo Station. And as I come up the escalator, I don't do walking, in fact I didn't think there were any stairs actually for this particular bit, <laughs> it's all escalators, and, um, and there were an unusual amount of people at the top of the escalator, an unusual amount of people, generally associated with either a train has broken down, or there's been some sort of incident or a strike or whatever it happens to be, and so I sort of thought, that's unusual, didn't think anything, anything more about it, walked along to sort of my bit of the platform, which is up by sort of the 17, 18, 19, 20s, and... Um, Again, even more people up there read the leaderboard and it turned out that somebody had had, obviously, a very, very bad day and had decided to throw themselves in front of a train. And it was somewhere between, I think, Wimbledon and Clapham Junction. Well, the problems that it causes are absolutely immeasurable because they cannot just sort of keep the trains running, they have to stop them on the particular lines and uh, it's happened quite a number of times recently, I think the amount of people who have decided to end their life under a train has increased, there was something like last year 232 people who'd committed suicide, which is a huge amount of people, it's huge and, but I didn't I, I wasn't being particularly selfish at all because all I kept thinking was well this person must have been so depressed that they couldn't think of anything else to do apart from in the morning rush hour to throw themselves in front of a train. So it must have been ghastly for the people there, ghastly for the train driver. So many people affected. And then, of course, other people. It didn't bother me because I didn't have to rush to get home. I was was going home. I wasn't having to go into work. Otherwise, there'd be phone calls all over the place. And so I sort of stood there and trains were cancelled and trains were delayed... And uh, there appeared to be no end in sight. And I was sort of thinking, wait a minute, should I go and get an underground train? I can get an underground train. That's actually easy-peasy. I can go and do that. But it just takes an age, and it's, it's a bit tedious. And I like going on the overgrounds. So anyway, eventually, then a train came up, and I forget where it was going to, but I was looking down the list on the leaderboard, and it said Cyan Lane. Now, you remember Cyan Lane featured on the programme the other day because I inadvertently got on the wrong train. Eventually, it ended up back at Twickenham. And... Um, And I thought, sign... And there were so many people getting off it. I've never seen so many people getting off it. I thought it was an out-of-the-way station that was used by about three people and a dog. And that was about it. But no, no, no. This was heaving. Because up on the Great West Road by Gillette Corner, here in London, it's it's all big office blocks. I mean, huge office blocks. And so people either get off at Brentford uh, or they get off at Sign Lane. And my friend Graham was on the same train. But because it was heaving, I mean, literally, luckily I had a little tiny seat and I was able to sort of sit there with my little sandwich... You know, Not reading a book, I was sort of checking the phone and sending text messages to Graham backwards and forwards going, you know, it's heaving, people are leaning over you. Oh, God, it was really busy. Anyway, get to Zion Lane and uh, everybody dis- disembarked. So what were they doing at Zion Lane on that morning? Bearing in mind, you're trying to get more than a 1,000 people off a train and up a tiny staircase onto the main road. They decided to check tickets. Well, of course, as you can imagine, you find the usual bunch of crooks on every train who've managed to cheat the system. So that took a bit of time. We come out of there and then we have to go down the road. To go and get a bus, and within about three minutes there was a bus there. So we got back in home. It was about twenty past nine, so a little bit later than usual. In fact, quite a bit later than usual. But at the same time, I thought it didn't. It was no hardship to me. I didn't mind. I didn't pay for the uh, for the transport, apart from on the train first time round. But it was it was all all good. But you just feel immensely sorry that somebody decided to end their life yesterday because they were so fed up or so depressed. And the only thing that they, they could think of was by throwing themselves in front of a train without thinking, really, of the disruption it causes to other people. But at the same time, I took great delight in thinking, well, at least they'll be remembered. At least they'll be remembered. So many other people who take their own lives. Nobody gives them a, a third glance. They don't even bother with them, do they? So that was that was yesterday. And uh, and then I had the clearance of all clearances. I've I'd taken out of the car about three years ago, four years ago, It could be Lynn might have to correct me. Um, a boot liner, And in the boot liner, uh is all of my stuff. I've saved all sorts of stuff over the years, DVDs and little bits and pieces and just everything. Anyway, it was full up to the brim. And Len said, we need to clear this out. Let's clear it out. So we be- I became ruthless. I became like a man possessed, throwing this stuff out with sort of wild abandon. And in the end, I was picking up wadges of, of CDs and stuff like that, which I bought over the thinking... What? They've been sitting there for four or five years. If I've not looked at them now, I'm not going to bother looking at them again, am I? So they all got thrown out. And then I found loads of batteries that I didn't know I had. Uh, So all in all, it was very, very therapeutic throughout a vacuum cleaner, throughout a lovely rug, which actually one of the neighbours... We put it on top of the rubbish bins and one of the neighbours took it. Because it's actually a really nice rug. And I I bought it ages ago and it's red, but it's got silver threads in it. It it sounds ghastly, but I promise you, it's really quite, quite wonderful. And I was going to put it in the bathroom. I know. Slightly peculiar. And then in the end, I didn't put it in the bathroom. I don't know why. I just decided not to. So anyway, she took that. So she was very happy. We had a major clear out. I've still got one more cupboard to go downstairs and then we'll all be there. And so then Lynn said, oh, DHL have tried to deliver your parcel again. And I said, oh, right. (laughs) And uh, and so we sort of we sort of got there. We sort of got there and it was, uh, it was all quite nice, actually. It was, it was a lovely day. And then we ended up... Come here, you stupid computer. Uh, we ended up with a nice bottle of Prosecco on the patio, which was fabulous. And um, <laughs> Gary Taylor's back again. <laughs> this is because... This is, this is from DHL. This was my, this was my saving grace again. So uh, Gary's contacted uh, Alan, and now I'll wait for Alan to contact me. I can give him the DHL number. So, do you know, it's so nice having people who are out there. It's like having a social secretary, Gary. It seriously is. It's But it's, you can imagine the frustration, can't you? I'm going to learn next time. I'm not going to order them from the States. I'm gonna, it's easier to fly over there and buy the blasted things. But uh, what do I do? As soon as uh, Alan contacts me, then I'll give him the number, and then I'll nip up there tomorrow. And go and collect them tomorrow morning. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'm very grateful. Things we need to do for each other. Never mind, I'm sure I could do something for him. I'll I'll have to... How can I do... I don't even know where you're based, actually, Gary, so it doesn't help. I was going to drop you up some LBC mugs. You could enjoy your cup of tea in the morning with an LBC mug. Anyway, thank you for that. Right, what do we have for you this morning in the paper? Well, apart from uh, George celebrating his second birthday, what do you buy for a child who's got everything... What? I mean, what is there to buy for a child who's got everything for a child who has no idea how privileged he is and how privileged his uh, family are, uh, how they've got everything? And he's never going to need to want for anything. He's never going to need to worry about presents. He's never going to need to worry about sort of actually having to go and get a job in theory. He doesn't need to worry about stuff like that. And he's two years old. I was trying to think back when I was two years old. And of course, as you know me, I can't remember like last week. So there's no point in trying to remember two years old. But I look at pictures of me and I found a great picture of me in this boot, in this box, in the car. And it's a picture of me on my dad's motorcycle when I was two years old. And I showed it to Lynn. I said, who's that? She went, that's you. She recognised me, which was amazing. So we were very, uh, very, very happy with that. And, um, and it was a nice day yesterday. It was nicer after the Prosecco, watered the hanging basket, still looking good. I love the idea that Victoria Beckham doesn't want Dave to strip with Katy Perry for a TV ad. I'm assuming both of them are going to strip, and let's face it, that's all you do with David Beckham nowadays. You just get him standing in his pants, because that's what David Beckham does. And I think the reason that Vic doesn't want him to do it with Katy Perry is because Katy Perry's got a body. Victoria Beckham would like a body. And so, you know, David might be sort of looking at Katy Perry going... Is that what women look like, because he's been used to a stick insect with two peas stuck at the top of it. You know, he hasn't actually realised. And I I'm not being rude at all. I mean, there is nothing of her. I've 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 had her in the well, I haven't, but I mean, in the studio she's been in. The, well, I mean, I wouldn't. In the studio she's been in here, and she's she's sat next to me. In fact, the whole family sat next to me, and um, and she's thin. I mean, she she makes Cheryl Versace Vincini Spag Bowl, Bolognese uh, look almost fat. Seriously, there's nothing of her. This woman doesn't eat. Whereas I came in this morning, and I'm going through a health kick, as you know, at the moment, my body is a bit of a temple. And uh, and I was with some some younger people yesterday. In fact, I was with some depressingly young people yesterday. And and I suddenly realised that when you're young, you can eat anything you like. When you get to my age, above 25, you know, every little tiny cream cake that you eat seems to go on your hips. And I don't. Know. So I've started. I'm going on a health kick. So I got some bananas yesterday. Gave two to Will. And I've eaten one this morning because somebody said to me, you don't want to eat too many bananas because apparently too many bananas is bad. So as opposed to having a lemon drizzle cake or a Victoria sponge, which I have also brought with me, uh, I've had uh, um, um, two oranges and a banana today. And that's going to get me through the programme with a bit of help from DHL. Anyway, it's quarter past four.
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Happy thoughts. Happy thoughts this morning. We like happy thoughts on the programme. Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning. Should Sir John be forced to accept help to roll out his Iraq inquiry report? Is the game up for Labour or at least one generation? Tony Blair's giving a speech about the Labour leadership. And we hear from a friend of the murdered teaching assistant, an anti-knife campaigner who was stabbed to death at the weekend in Enfield. That's uh, Nick Ferrari this morning. With the morning news after seven o'clock, and I don't know who's actually doing the papers for Nick Ferrari this morning. It doesn't actually have who's doing his papers. It must be somebody really, really special. Do you know? I tell you, we work fast in this business because having having heard from Gary Taylor from DHL, now we've heard from uh, Alan Warmsley, who's up at Heathrow, and uh, and I shall I shall send you the number. Straight away, Alan. Thank you very much indeed for that. It's terrible, really, isn't it, when you've got to use a programme to try and get your blooming Tommy Bahamas shirts. When I went there last time to DHL, the lady up there uh, said to me, shall we get a lot of this? She said, do you know what's in it? I said, I could tell you exactly what's in it. I said, it's two shirts, which you'll probably think are ghastly, but I think they're actually quite nice. <laughs> anyway, right. Uh, uh, who's doing the paper review? Melissa Kite. Melissa Kite. Oh, right. Melissa. Right. That's good sorry I'm not the wiser I don't know Melissa Guy, it is. I'm sure she's been in before is she, oh right oh she's columnist for the Spectator. ah that's right she's the oh gosh she's the author of uh, the art of not having it all I just remembered now which is uh, which is amazing and she uh, she also writes for for guardian everything she's lovely she's really nice really nice what she's going to make of the papers today I've got no idea because having been through them there's a story on the mirror about this adultery website which is for men. It seems a bit bizarre doesn't it in this day and age and I don't enjoy talking about sex. They always say if you enjoy talking about sex it means you're either not getting it or you're not doing it or you're having to thrive on other people and I couldn't quite understand why there would be such a thing as an adultery website. Some A website where you would actually freely admit that you were cheating on the person you were with so one of the, one of the columnists today said good let's name all these people because they're cheating on their partners but then I think partners know when they're being cheated on. I mean some people have an arrangement. Some people have, have an arrangement about uh, about things like this, and so they have what they call an open marriage. Seems a kind of pointless a pointless thing, doesn't it, to have an open marriage. You know, either you're gonna get married or you're not gonna get married. What's the point of getting married to somebody? Only to cheat, because it means you're not satisfied by one person. Uh, but anyway obviously the the site exists now because people are far more sexualized than they ever were. Small wonder you read stories about, you know, girls of 12 getting pregnant because everywhere you go we were just discussing during the break of of how um how easy it is to access sexual things on the internet. In my day you had to go to the library and take out National Geographic to see women with big jugs. It was uh, it was quite difficult, you know, to actually <laughs> To actually go out there. I mean, they didn't have anything. Although, since the internet, I've suddenly realised that there is something called... Wait, wait for this one. Victorian porn. Even the Victorians had porn. It's exactly the same as our porn, apparently. They tell me. The experts. People who've seen it. Only they've got crinolines on and stuff like that. It's slightly bizarre. Slightly bizarre. And, um, And so, the internet has opened up all sorts of things. People can now sit in their bedrooms and access this. Me... I I sort of do Lego sites, you know, because I'm interested in, in Lego because we never actually could afford stuff like that when I was a kid. But I understand, I suppose, the need for having an adulterous site because it's got millions of people around the world. And, in fact, you know that... I mean, ever since I have mentioned naked people on the programme, uh, I've been invited by a site to be their mascot. And it's a site where men can be naked with other men. We could probably try it in here this morning. I did uh, I did do it... Well, only if everybody's in agreement. I don't want to be the only one standing on the chair by myself in my pants, I want to make it worthwhile. And um, (laughs) we did do... I did do a programme naked once. I did a programme naked once with my producer. We both just... Don't ask me why. I I think it was a bet or something like that. And we did a programme in our pants. And then we suddenly realised that the cameras were on in the studio. And somebody said, I can see you. So we we actually got a bit freaked out by it. And it turned out that uh, the day before... Somebody had left the cameras on one of the LBC presenters had done a programme so you could watch him on the Internet, uh, which I have to have to tell you, is a very boring thing to do to watch somebody on the Internet. And somebody said, I can see you in your studio. This is this was the day after we did the, the naked thing. And I said, no, you can't. And he said, click on this link. So I clicked on the link on the screen and I'm looking at me in the studio. And they'd left the cameras switched on, so we were, we were basically transmitting it. And we tried it a while ago. So many people had written in saying, we'd love to watch you doing your Sunday show. And so they agreed for a day that they would open up the thing and there was a, a link to it. So many people accessed it, it crashed I don't know why. I've, I've explained before that, you know, watching some bloke sitting here with a pair of headphones on his head, talking into a microphone, clever though it might be, it's not the most exciting thing to watch. If I was painting at the same time or doodling or, you know, making a model or something, then it would be interesting. But just watching somebody picking up the papers and, and going through the motions of doing a paper review on the programme is not, I promise you, exciting at all. In fact, even I think it's fairly dull. And I've got friends of mine in the business in fact, there's one who likes coming in on this programme and just sitting there for half an hour. He just, just likes watching people present programmes. And I suppose if you do a music-based programme, which people tell me is actually quite difficult to make interesting, that's why all the interesting music-based programmes have a certain element of speech in them. Because speech is... I mean, my ideal programme would be interview, bit of music, lot of chat. That would be ideal, because I always think you can fall back on a piece of music. As it is, I get people writing in saying... How long do you talk for? And you go, well, two and a half hours. Then there's the free podcast and then an interview to do if I if I've got an interview to do. So but that's what you do. That's what I was. I was trained to do years ago. Some people go, oh, I couldn't I couldn't talk for that long. I could probably do about three minutes and then I would dry up. I said, well, you never dry up. Why would you dry up? I've, I've never, ever considered the thought... I've had a few days where I've sort of wandered off at a tangent and talked about stuff where I've thought, what are you talking about, Stephen? I mean, sometimes even I'm not uh, not aware of what's going on on the programme because it just, it just flows. And then sometimes something will pop into your mind and you'll go, oh, that was what I was going to tell people about the other day. I remember the, there was this story that came up and then people say to me, but that story you were telling us about, you know, the chip shop boss, what is it? You didn't get round to it the other day. And then I was telling people... I mean, I did it in the office earlier on to a friend of mine. I said, Nigel Mackenzie has died. And so he did exactly what you're doing now, which is going, Who the dickens is Nigel Mackenzie? And I said to him, Nigel Mackenzie's died. And he said, Who's Nigel Mackenzie? I said, I'll tell you later. And that's what they call in the business a tease bit like being a pole dancer. A little bit of a tease, a little bit of showy-showy, a showy, little bit of not showing too much. And so when I say Nigel McKenzie, unless you've actually Googled him now, you don't know who he is. I'll tell you to put you out of your misery and save you going to the computer at this time of the morning. He's the man who invented Bonoffi pie. He made Bonoffi pie. Now, I've never had it. I've seen it. But it looks a little bit sickly to me. And it's... I'm reliably informed. What you do is to make it... You do a pastry base, I think... And then what you do is you cut, I think, bananas. I might be wrong, banoffee pie. And you cut bananas and you you line the bottom of the base of this pastry case. And then you get um, a tin of condensed milk or evaporated milk. I can't remember which one it is. Could be either of them. And you boil it with a sealed tin. You put it in a pan of water, bring it to the boil and you boil it. Once you've boiled it for however many minutes it takes, you then let it cool down, open it, and the condensed milk, I promise you, it is the miracle of all miracles, it's turned into toffee. Hence, banoffee pie. And then you pour this over the bananas and stick it in the fridge. And then you can have it with whipped cream. You're feeling a bit hungry now, aren't you? I can tell. It's that sugar rush. The only reason is that I can't eat it is because it's a bit, it's a bit too much. The one thing I adore, which I can hardly ever have because it sends me completely round the bend, is jelly. I used to love, or trifle, I have, I'll have to be honest with you, I have in the past bought a trifle. I've had to scrape a lot of the cream and the custard off the top and I've just eaten the sponge and the and the jelly and the fruit and everything else. But then sometimes I've had a bit of the cream and it's delicious. I had some uh, Greek style yoghurt the other day. It wasn't actually Greek yoghurt, it was Greek style yoghurt, but it was no calories and I had that over some strawberries and that was particularly gorgeous. I mean, that was particularly wonderful. And uh, so I, I can make myself ill walking around the supermarket looking at all the different trifles. Posset, I like. Have you ever had posset? That's delicious. That's sort of like a yoghurt. And I had a lovely yoghurt the other day and it's apple, Bramley apple and something else, I think. And I'm convinced it's got way too much sugar for me because I know that if I eat it before I go to bed, I'm going to wake up about three times going, I need to go to the toilet. It goes through me very, very fast indeed. Very, very fast indeed. So uh, the uh, the adventures of Steve Allen and the the dessert department, anywhere, it doesn't matter. I can't eat profiter rolls. We used to have a chef on LBC years ago called Glyn Christian. And Glyn used to come in on the, on the breakfast show. And he would all bring something in every day. And one day he brought in profiteroles. And I suddenly realised how lovely they were. But it's shoe pastry with sort of cream and then chocolate and then toffee drizzled over the top. Oh, you call them profiteroles, do you? What did I call them? Profiteroles? What? Are we being nitpicky about my pronunciation? Profiteroles as opposed to profit... It doesn't matter, does it? So... What's it? Does it? Does it does anybody else complaining about my pronunciation of something, or is it pronunciation? No, it's pronunciation. Can't believe you picked me up on profiteroles. 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 Oh, should we have? Would you like to taste the wine, madam, sir? Yes, I'll taste it. Oh, I think it's corked. It is, sir. I've just taken the cork out. There you go. Drink it, girl. Oh, blimey, sir. I'm not going out to Kentucky anytime soon. Will you, pal? I tell you, you'll be going there. Sorry, is, is this lightly dusted in herbs and spices made by Colonel Sanders, who's dead? You know, any any clues on that one? Of course, if he if he discovered something else before he discovered chickens and how to sort of turn them into something even more disgusting than he thought they were first time round. The clue is in the title, fried chicken. You can't have it all the time because it's really, it's fried. Take it out of the box. The box is dripping in fat. I tell you, but it, it does taste quite nice. But then I also like spadulicae. I'm quite good with spadulicae. And uh, you have those with sometimes cheese and butter, a little tiny... Oh, you call them spudgy-like, do you? Oh, God. What a snob you must be. It's 4.30. Steve Allen on LBC. I'm halfway through typing my number into Alan Wormsley. I mean, come on, give me a break. I'm just going to type... No, I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Not after you've criticised me about the uh, pronunciation of profiteroles. I can't believe... I mean, oh, dear, honestly. Do you call it jelly, or is it jelly or Jello? You have you anything? Not not what, what's? Oh, Jello is is American, is it? Is that the American jelly? Right, and, and is that jam Jello? Right. Oh, oh J- jelly is jam. What, what what's Jello then? Jello is jelly. They're so odd, aren't they? In America, so odd. Wait, a minute, I've just got to type. Many, uh, I'm, as you can tell, I'm the slowest typist in the world. I'm what's known as a one-finger typist. Uh, many. E-H-A-N-K-S. There you go. Many thanks. (laughs) Paul. Honestly, they must hate me down at DHL. I must admit that they go, he's back again. He's ordered more of these blasted shirts again. (laughs) Anyway, so um, I, I do watch, on occasion, The Only Way is Essex. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's now got beyond the joke. They're all slightly peculiar. They're all slightly cracked. They've all got huge flaws and uh, they don't understand because nobody explains to them because they're simple and um, you know nobody explains how to get through life and they can't get through life and so what you end up with is you end up with an awful lot of flawed people who who spend most of their time crying, and so somebody decided that they would do a um a little chart of who has cried the most times, the top ten wailers on the programme. And it's actually quite, uh, quite funny, because these are the people who have cried the most, and they are the drips of all time. These are the stupid people. What are you crying for? You know, I cry to film. I don't cry over a relationship or something like that. So in, uh, in reverse order, which they do on all the best programmes, at number ten, the one who cried eight times in the last series, Ricky Raymond. Nine times, and this must have been... Oh, they must be looking, actually, of... Uh, oh, in, during the show's history. This is the show's history. Oh, right. Ricky Raymond, eight times. Lauren Goodger, Good God, she's not still around, is she? Nine times. Lauren Poppy, ten times. Chloe Sims and Joey Essex, eleven times. Fern Foulmouth McCann, ugly potty mouth woman, seventeen times. Gemma Collins, nineteen, but she deserves it. Lydia Dim. Twenty-one times. Uh, Drippy woman. Uh, Danny Armstrong. Vile. Twenty-one times. Lucy Mecklenburg spent most of her time immersed in a box of Kleenex. Twenty-six times. But top of the list, everybody's most boring person. Jess Wright. Twenty-nine times. (laughs) Grow up, you stupid baggage. Oh, dear, how we laughed, how we laughed, how we laughed. How these people get through life, I'll never know. Seriously, I don't understand how they actually make it from day to day. You look at Lydia Dim, and, you know, just even putting clothes on for her looks like it's a bit of an effort. Joey Essex has practically had his day. Although last year, they, they tell us, the latest accounts last year, £420,000. Now, that's what he's his turned over, £420,000, which is very interesting. So work it out for yourself. I mean, he actually earned more than the Prime Minister, then you would expect him to. But then you see, I think next year it will drop because he's coming down. You can always tell when when somebody's on the wane, when they start turning up on chat shows, little sort of game shows where it's 300 quid a pop. So 420,000 quid last year. So take off 20% for his agent, if indeed it's uh, as little as 20%, and his 420,000 goes down. That would be... Eighty-four thousand pounds would go out in commission to the agent, so you're now down to three hundred thousand pounds, three hundred and a bit. Then you've got to take off the tax, okay? And because his, his accounts are published, he can't escape with anything, you know. So there's no danger. And so when you actually come down to it, he might be looking at maybe two hundred thousand pounds, and that now that doubled from the year before, which was two hundred and sixty-five thousand. So not as much as you think. So by the time... Because somebody wrote to me a while ago some poor old deluded baggage who goes, he's a multimillionaire. He's nowhere near multimillionaire. He's so far away from it. It's laughable. Because by the time you've taken out the cost of buying his car and his watch and all his other stuff, he hasn't got anything. It's, it's dropped down quite considerably. It sounds very impressive, £420,000. But I know loads of people who earn money like that. And by the time you've actually taken it away and it comes down to what you earn at the end of each month... He's, do- he's doing well, but I think next year it's going to drop. I think it's going to drop because he's, he's turned up on a a show and there's a, there's a limit to how much you can do the sort of I'm a bit simple kind of routine. People People, you know, buy it a little way and then they go, listen, we're a bit... You know, you're a bit stupid now. You're giving people a very bad name. People who come from Essex aren't at all like anybody who's in The Only Way is Essex. They're really not, unless they're as revolting as Carol Wright, who is uh, Jess Wright's mother. I mean, she was vile to Ricky Raymond. Really, such a nasty piece of work. Perhaps she's bitter that she looks so wrinkly and horrible. A bit like Nanny Pat. I mean, she is a road map, isn't she? I mean, that can only be a ra- You could fill in the gaps on her with a felt-tip pen. You could go round her face. You could probably actually... It looks like a maze... Looks like a maze. Um, There's a picture in the paper today. In fact, there's a picture in quite a few of the papers. And and I urge you to look at it. I urge you... First of all, there is a picture of uh, of Ben Cohen splashing around the waves of uh, Miami... He's really piled on the pounds, hasn't he now? I mean, really. He looks, you know... I mean, to be honest with you, the wife's better off without him. He looks like the sort of person Christina Ryanov would, would, would go for. You watch. Won't last. Will not last. Guaranteed. But there is a picture in the paper today. Flanked by Hitler's henchman, Edward VIII gives a Nazi salute. No, he's not. You can see exactly what he's doing here. He's waving... It's a wave. To all intents and purposes, this is a wave. You look in the Daily Mail today and you'll go, that's not a Nazi salute. A Nazi salute is, you know, with the hand outstretched. If it's bent to one side and he's holding his hand up, that's a wave. He's waving. And when you see the other one, he's waving. You know, the Daily Mail, they're either particularly stupid... Or their royal correspondent hasn't got the faintest idea what a Nazi salute looks like. Go into the archives, dear. They'll show you this is a wave. He's flanked by people. He's waving to the crowd. He's not giving a Nazi salute. God, in heaven, honestly. There's dumb journalists and there's really, really dumb journalists. Terrible, terrible. Here's uh, Cheryl Cole. Good, it's amazing. Oh, sorry, Cheryl Spagbol, I do beg your pardon. So from literally a week ago when she was looking ghastly and anorexic, all of a sudden now they're going, here she is, it's a healthier Cheryl. No, it's the same Cheryl. It's exact. Don't believe a word that she's now sort of, you know... I mean, where she gets these outfits from, I've got no idea. This one is absolutely appalling. It really is. It's a. They, they, they call it a retro dress with a high pink collar. It looks ghastly. And the trouble is because... Because of the fact that Cheryl is not a model, everything she's worn so far... I mean, two weeks ago, she wore that ridiculous sort of halter top kind of thing, showing the uh, the sort of the flesh. And then she had that ghastly dress the other day. Perhaps there's some company that's paying her to wear this stuff. It's absolutely awful. It really is. And they said, because she's had her hair cut, um, it's still exactly the same person. Skinny legs. I'm surprised she's able to stand up. But the clothes she's wearing are ghastly. I mean, even worse clothes you know worn by Lewis Hamilton we all know how badly he dresses in fact you know I think three of the papers did a thing is this Britain's worst dressed man and the answer is absolutely but perhaps they're paid by companies excuse me Mm. perhaps they're actually paid by companies to wear their outfits because you wouldn't seriously go out and buy this stuff I mean you just wouldn't because it just doesn't suit them. It doesn't look right, you know. It's, it's sort of understated. It's like every time you see poor old Lydia Dim from TOWIE out in an outfit. She looks like an old lady. She's dressing like her mother. You know how badly dressed she is. These people are badly dressed. But they obviously sort of think that you're going to go out and buy their outfits. Which I don't think you are. Um, <laughs> Phil says, I did watch TOWIE at the weekend. Can you please tell me if I'm right or wrong? At the end of the credits roll, by I've got a sworn it said, Gemma Collins dressed by Millets. I know. She, well, the only thing she can wear are tents. She's, uh, she's way too fat. Way too fat. Uh, almost borderline obese, I would have thought. And uh, she hasn't helped herself. Foul-mouthed. And there is a picture today of a couple uh, in, a, in a phone box at it. And the girl looks remarkably like Gemma Collett. The bloke's got sunglasses on in a phone box, I ask you. And so somebody obviously went past and took pictures. It's a bit sad and tragic, and no doubt by the time we get to tomorrow, you'll see this uh, this pair of chavs in a glass phone box at it. I mean, I, you can't understand it at all. Uh, there's also a picture. Sarah Vine says, I'm all in favour of breastfeeding. Before we go, we're not going down the route of breastfeeding on the programme today. And uh, I understand, she said, that mothers need to feed their babies in public. Again, been there, done that, had my fair share of disapproving looks. That said, it is perfectly possible to feed a baby without whipping out your watsits and waving them in people's faces. It's both rude and, for the most part, unnecessary exhibitionism. But celebrities like Tamara drippy old Eccleston, who's taken to posting pictures of herself breastfeeding her year-old daughter on social media, aren't just exhibitionists, they're full-time narcissists. Narcissists. And she is. She's a poor old Tamara. She's not the brightest penny in the box. This is the woman who didn't know what toast was. Do you remember? That's how thick she is. That's how thick. And so she prints pictures of her baby breastfeeding. You know, I mean, she isn't just an exhibitionist. She's a bit simple, a little bit simple in the head. It's not her fault. She can't help it. She uh, she obviously hasn't got the finer things in life. Uh, It's a classic case of loads of money, no brain. Loads of brain, no money. Uh, Julie says, please wish Kevin the Legs Milkman it's a very happy birthday today. And in fact, loads of people have written in... And uh, and said that it's his birthday. Wish him many happy returns of the day. In fact, I think we've actually got a couple of birthdays. I th- I'm pretty certain it's a couple. Uh, Noreen says uh, Prince George is two. Kevin is <coughs> 37, really. <laughs> and anybody else sharing their birthday? So two birthdays today. Of course, we we didn't we don't know really Prince George at all well, do we? We don't know Prince George at all well, but we do know that um, that he has a, a birthday. Uh, unfortunately says Jackie the 10 milligrams of diazepam stops me from being there at 4am so good morning anyway <laughs> 10 milligrams i say I'm surrounded by people on medication Jackie don't don't worry about it I'm exactly the same and um the uh, yes it is Jackie from Paddockwood and her friend Karen along with Terry from Twickenham wondering if this is the gentleman you talked about says Paul in Manchesterford yes that's him I'll tell you who he uh, I don't I don't know his name I don't know his name, but he walks down the street wearing these clothes. His, his wife, who I pointed out the other day, uh, died a few years ago now. But he always raises his hat to ladies. He, he's, he's obviously from a different generation from the rest of us. He's always very smart. He has, uh, he has lots of different uh, outfits. He does look very smart. He's obviously advanced in years, but that is the one that I talked about on Tuesday's show, Paul. So there you go. Uh, Junior says, home from Turkey. Uh, going back Friday. So, uh, hope is all uh, is, is well with you as well. I was going to do the weather and then I thought I can't be bothered actually today. One direction of playing uh, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, right now. It's evening. Will we ever be the same? Ever, says Jean. 50,000 screaming teenagers at an outdoor stadium. Thankfully, I'm miles away. Will they ever return? Not likely. This will no doubt be their last. Love seeing your flowers, says Jean, the other week. Yeah, they, they come out quite well, actually. I cannot complain about them. In fact, even Lynn said to me yesterday, she said, the flowers have turned out really nice this year. They look really good. I said, yeah, it takes um, takes a little bit of, um, you know. <laughs> uh, Vanessa says, Jess Wright was on Lorraine yesterday, promoting her novel, Will she be in on, in on in? Will she be on, in conversation? She can't have written a novel. I mean, that's she's not intelligent enough to write a novel. I don't believe it. It's probably another one of these ghosted things. I mean, it's you know, it's it's just a bit tragic and sad, isn't it? I mean, who in God's name is going to buy that? Who is going to buy that? Nobody is going to buy a, a novel from Jess Wright. I mean, she is the most boring person on Towie. You know, you'll buy a book from Steve Allen, and thankfully you are, but hers will be in Poundland before you know it. Who would buy a book from her? Who seriously would buy? I wouldn't even buy Kelly Maloney's book, and she's in the paper today. Kelly Maloney, who used to be Frank Maloney, just in case you've been sort of, you know, on a planet somewhere where they haven't got any intelligent life and they can't tell you about these things. And Kelly Maloney's in one of the papers today saying, I'd like to do loose women. I'd like to be on the panel. No, it's it's loose women. I know technically you think you're a woman, but it is, you know, people who were born women, not people who were born into the wrong bodies. And that's why it just wouldn't work. It's never going to happen like that, unless all of a sudden somebody on the... I mean, mind you, look at Colleen. Who knows? Who knows? Stranger things have happened. And then poor old Kelly Maloney, who's just, you know, desperately attention-seeking, and it's become so tedious for everybody. They go, oh, not Kelly Maloney again, which sends out the wrong signals. Uh, and then said, oh, I'd like to do a chat show with White D. Listen, darling, nobody wants to see a chat show with you, let alone you and useless White D. Thank you very much indeed. It would never happen. Nobody would be commissioning anything like that anytime time soon. Two egotists talking about themselves. I'd rather see you both on a weight loss programme. That'd be more interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, there's also the, uh, the Labour fight to survive. Who are they voting for? Corbyn, apparently. Corbyn streaks ahead of uh, loads of other people. We've got another name from Big Brother. Having told us that they're going to put in, who did they say so far? That dreadful Dan Osborne, who we came up with uh, yesterday. And uh, Daniela Westbrook. It's going to be all the trolls, isn't it? All the trolls. There's another name that they're throwing into the flame. You won't remember who this person is, but I'll tell you about them in a minute. And uh, the vanishing Arctic ice caps. No, they've grown by 40%. They're not vanishing at all. I told a friend of mine this morning. I said, they're vanishing. He said, he said, I I, I said, the story is that they were vanishing, but now they're not. And he said, no, they are vanishing. I said, no, they've increased by 40%. 84850, Steve at LBC.co.uk, 14 to 5.
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: We're 11 minutes to 5 I know, ridiculous o'clock isn't it really but once you get used to the time you think this is perfectly normal I think this is a perfectly normal time of the day Gary downstairs said to me "Said how long, how many years have you been doing this uh, programme I said I can't remember I said six years, I don't know I, I think it's quite normal now My whole life is is geared around getting up in the early hours of the morning. I function much better at this time than any other time, which seems rather odd because most people can't stand getting up at this time of the morning. Uh, Johnny's still in Belfast. Somebody says, why don't you order your parcel to your work address? You can't. It's got to go to home. That's the whole thing about it. Just in case it goes missing Uh, and they don't like, you know, parcels going missing. Darren says, I now know you were right about Blackpool. It is the pits. The sooner I can move, the better. Uh, the railway incident yesterday explains the crowd in Surbiton, says Ian. If you torment us with lemon drizzle cake, I will raise you with crispy fried bread. <sighs> Ooh, I've got Victoria Sponge as well. Victoria's Sponge and lemon drizzle cake and bananas. It's all very exciting. <laughs> uh, have you seen the image of Michael McIntyre taken outside the, uh, the studios? Yes, I have. It was on the day that he came in. Uh, do you ever consider your carbon footprint? Says somebody, no. No, never bother about that in the slightest. Says ordering shirts from America. I bet you could walk down the road and get the same thing locally. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. You can't get them. They're, they're Tommy Bahamas. Tommy Bahamas. They only come from America. Uh, somebody else says you can buy the toffee already made for Bonoffi pie or Profita rolls. And, uh, and another one says, I was down in the kitchen making a cup of tea, heard an alarm clock, it was my son's clock, and he said, I've set it for early breakfast and listened to Steve Allen. Well, there you go, it was an incredibly wise nine-year-old child. I think. Uh, another one here, very quickly. Uh, actually, somebody was talking uh, um, the other day about programmes that you watch on the television that you used to watch when you were little that now you can go and get on DVD and whether or not you'd actually go and watch them again. And I have done that a few times. I've been a bit disappointed because sometimes they've just moved them onto to DVD and they don't, they don't quite work the same. They don't quite work the same. Uh, we're trying to find the... Um, the boiling of the tin of condensed milk. Uh, you definitely don't open it. You definitely don't pierce it and put it in the water. That's a pointless exercise. You just um, you leave it. The whole idea is it's sealed and then you let it cool down again. It's not going to explode. It's a sealed tin. And then you wait for it to cool down and then you open it. But you definitely don't open it to start with. I'm pretty certain of that. That's why it turns into the toffee. It goes from the condensed milk. Although you've got the top on it, you might as well leave it there for hours on end. Hours on end. Uh, Julie says, I had issues with the train on Friday afternoon, a trespass uh, on the line, uh, just after leaving Twickenham. We had to wait while they got her onto the train and the police turned up. There's lots of these people. It's care in the community, isn't it, I think? Care in the community. Um, Another one here. This uh, is from Bill, who says you should forgive the Daily Mail for getting the interpretation of the photo of Edward VIII supposedly giving a Nazi salute. This is the same newspaper that reported that a Millwall supporters were all fascists because their reporter heard a chant, allegedly, of Sieg Heil, when in reality it was their opponent's supporters, Brighton chanting their nickname, Seagulls. Yeah, I don't remember that one. But uh, you look at the picture in the paper today of Edward VIII, that is not a Nazi salute. If it is, it's got to be the most pathetic Nazi salute you've ever seen. He's waving to the crowd. You could see it's a wave. I mean, you know, even with half a brain cell, you would know what it is. Um, I will tell you later on about the the psycho seagulls keeping out the illegals, and the Manchester United wag Sam Cook, who shocked commuters by allowing her dog to eat breakfast in first class. And I can't remember which paper that was in, so I'm going to hunt for it because I like stories like that. Because uh, wags have actually had their day now. Nobody's nobody's interested in them. We sort of we we sort of laugh at them. They're generally bimboy types. And and they do things. They've generally got no sense of the uh, occasion at all. They they don't really know how to dress. They don't know any manners. In fact, they don't actually have anything going for them at all. And so I I will find the story. But there's also uh, Jane Moore's column, and we always like Jane Moore's column because it's always very entertaining. And she talks today about uh, Heather Mills, mad as a bat, mad as a bat and uh, interviewed about her family values at the weekend. Heather Mills was her usual wily self when speaking about former husband Sir Paul McCartney. She says, I don't want to go into my second marriage too much because if you haven't got something nice to say about someone, you shouldn't say anything at all. And it had a lot to do with the person I married. Which, of course, tells us exactly what she thinks of Paul McCartney without breaching the non-disclosure divorce agreement one assumes she was required to sign. She's a horrible piece of work. She really is horrible. Even her own father... Said her book was a complete work of fiction. She just sort of makes things up. Something not right about her. Uh, even the sun are running today with Edward and the the Nazi salute. He's waving. He's waving. Uh, even the sun. I mean, uh, their their reporter said it's an apparent Nazi salute. Well, it's not apparent. He's just waving to people. Hello, hello. That's. I mean, if I'm waving to the producer, hello. That's a wave, not a Nazi salute. Goodness sake, honestly. Uh, so. Who are they putting back into Big Brother? Having told you that well-known has been um, Dan Osborne's going in, a man for whom, really, I mean, at the end of the pier at Clacton, pushing off, you know, would actually serve a much better purpose. Uh, Daniela Westbrook, a complete and utter waste of space. Now, the other one, who's the latest one set for Celebrity Big Brother. You see, this is the hilarious thing in this country. You need to read my book. I did mention my book, didn't I? Of course, you want to be a celebrity. Because any old toffee person who turns up on the television is apparently now a star. And here we go, the latest star to to be signed up for Celebrity Big Brother is Paul Dannon. Paul Dannon, I ask you. You'll be racking your brains trying to remember who this no-mark is. This is the person who uh, has been fined by the police, branded a disgrace by the local council leader, uh, in front of a family audience was switching on Christmas lights. He was swearing. He's quite clearly got sort of some sort of health issues. And then three years later, he pleaded guilty to drugs and a public order offence. You know, he's not a particularly pleasant person... And I don't know why we even bother with these people. I mean, if somebody's got quite clearly mental health issues, why are they putting him on the television? Dan Osborne, I'm going to stab you, he said to his last girlfriend. I'm going to stab you if I see you with anybody else. And you think, and they're putting him on the television programme. Daniela Westbrook, the woman who shoved half of Columbia up her nose. And she's a star. Yeah, a disaster. A woman for whom, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, the, the, the phrase waste of time was written specifically for her. Kelly Maloney says, "I'm female. No, you're not. Now I want to become a loose woman." Has Kelly Maloney had the complete operation now, or am I am I living in another world? I don't think so. We've, we've stuck a wig on, and um, and they don't want you on loose. Why would they want you on loose women? Why would they want you on there? It's you know you might think you're a woman, but you're not exactly a woman. Are you? you can't have children, so you're not actually a woman. And then she thinks that her and White D. This is, uh, they call her the Benefit Street star, another waste of space. Some fat, bloated, overweight, chain smash. She must stink to high heaven. And she thinks that they, they could have a, a new chat show. There's nothing more delusional than Kelly Maloney. I mean, it get, becomes more delusional by the day. Listen, as Frank Maloney, they didn't want you on television. As Kelly Maloney, they definitely don't want you. You're put up there now as some sort of object for people to point at. You go, oh, look, Kelly Maloney. You know, we've seen the television programmes, we've seen the interviews and all the rest of it. Frankly, there is nothing more unless you're going to stand there start naked and show us what you look like. Which I don't think that's going to be happening any time soon, thank goodness. Uh, Mel Gregg is in the paper today. You know who Mel Gregg is, don't you? You know who Mel Gregg is? She's turned up on Celebrity Apprentice. This is the Royal Hoax DJ. This is the uh, the woman who called the King Edward Hospital in London. Pretending to be the Queen when the Duchess of Cambridge was being treated for morning sickness. Michael Christian, her co-host, also took part in the prank. And then the nurse, uh, Jacintha Saldana, had answered the call and then she died a few days later. But she'd tried before. This wasn't, you know, just based on this one phone call. Don't ever think that it was. Uh, But Mel Gregg has now bounced back because she's now turned up in The Celebrity Apprentice in Australia. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that, you know, people who you think are badly behaved or who, who behave badly, all of a sudden they end up with this celebrity status. My book explains all of this. It's only a little, it's a pocketbook. There's a whole series of them from LBC presenters. And uh, it'll just explain to you how the process works. It's either fame by association or, you know, fame with who you have a relationship with or a programme you go on. It's no good being nice. Nobody wants nice in this day and age. You know, I'd be far too nice for these sort of programmes. And I wouldn't want to do them anyway. I think you either do them because you're an attention-seeking narcissist or failing that, you need the money. And in the case of Kelly Maloney, I should imagine it's probably both an attention seeker and uh, definitely somebody who wants the money. But frankly, we've seen it all before. It's a little bit naff. It's a little bit boring. Okay, we know all about you now. I don't want to know anything else. I couldn't care less. Go away. Stay away. Become a boxing promoter. Do whatever you want to do. I I really couldn't care less. I love the way that people seem to think that we want to know about their their dreary lives. I could not care less. Um, Lovely. Alan, sorry, Alan Wormsley, this man, I'm the bane of Alan Wormsley's life. I really am. He says, uh, we'll ensure it's ready to collect from 0800. Uh, unfortunately, this morning, it will have to be Alan tomorrow. And I'm sure that, uh, that Gary Taylor will tell you that. Because unless I can get there this afternoon, I'm trying to think what time I'll be back. But anyway, thank you very much indeed for sorting out. Well done, DHL. Huge round of applause there. Coming up very shortly, it's the, uh, the news at 5 o'clock this morning on LBC. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. It's the 22nd of July. It's Wednesday. And if you're one of these people who gets... You, you probably get paid. If you're paid monthly, you get paid this week. Friday is your payday. That means that for all those weeks, they'd be going, oh, God, will it never end? Will it never end? Finally, some money will will pop in. Uh, the Asylum Blagger busted. You won't believe what this one's done. Happy second birthday to George and uh, and other people as well. Kevin the Miltman's got his birthday today. And uh, K-Star is 93 today. Her hits included rock and roll, waltz and Wheel of Fortune. So there you go. K-Star, many happy returns. How we're falling in love again with the British seaside and the psycho seagulls keeping out the illegals. That and more comes the other side of the news. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast on LBC.
0: This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC,
1: text 84850, Steve Allen, on LBC. Morning, everybody. It's Wednesday, the twenty-second of July. It's nice to be company. I'm Steve Allen with you until six thirty this morning. Sally's been uh, ready and waiting for the program since about uh, four o'clock today, so hopefully she's uh, she's in with it at the moment. But the couple caught in a compromising act in a public phone box seems to dominate most of the papers today. The great Gran, who sneaked out of a care home to get her first tattoo at the age of seventy-nine, uh, George Clooney's upset the locals. 18 spy cameras. Hardly worth having him there, is it really? Ruining Lake Como completely. Uh, how we're falling in love again with the British seaside. It is the best holiday. Come on. Cast your mind back to when you were a child. Or oh, in the X Factor flock, Katie Waisel calls Cheryl Fernandez Spagbol a fake. A fake. Good heavens above. I mean, a fake what? Fake singer? Fake judge? Fake person? I mean, it is true she has tried to elevate herself into another class. Victoria Beckham in all the papers. She doesn't want her husband, Dave, to strip with Katy Perry for a TV ad. I didn't think she had any say in the matter. In us face it, we've seen David in his pants so many times, haven't we, really? Uh, six Stone, anorexic. Not thin enough for help on the NHS. The fortress, older than the pyramids that they have found below a Barrett's estate. A fortress older than the pyramids. They brought out uh, some of the pieces of wood, some of the logs that were used to hold this house up. It was a house on stilts, but it's underneath the Barrett's estate. Uh, Osborne orders 40% cuts. This is going to be very interesting. And uh, the paper's full of all sorts of interesting stories to guarantee to get you uh, going. Uh, Jerry says, if you think Blackpool is a dump, I'll raise you real Cesspit of the world. (laughs) Well of the UK anyway. I've never been to Rill. It's never I've never thought about it. I always thought it it's a seaside resort, isn't it, Rill? So I'm assuming it's got things like, you know, sticks of rock and donkey rides. And I don't know. uh, The seaside was the great British holiday of years ago. Everybody in the country used to take their holidays at the same time. So the trains would be packed and people would head off to Blackpool and to Margate and to Bournemouth and to Southend. And the Sharabangs would take people down there, disgorge the people and they would book into their little hotels and they'd stay there. And they'd probably been doing it for years and years and years. And we loved it. You go down to the to the prom and you'd think, right, today we'll just have a look around and familiarise ourselves with the area, which was what you remember doing as a child. And then there'd be the amusement arcades, and that fascinated us. Flashing lights and things moving backwards and forwards and pennies all over the place, and there'd be people selling rock and balloons and candy floss and toffee apples and rock with your name on it. So they'd have all your sticks of rock, you know, try and find Stephen somewhere and then you could always get that, and then you get rocks shaped like shells, and then you go down to the beach, that first day you go to the beach, and you couldn't wait to get down there as a child. You couldn't wait, and you, your mum would pack up a hamper, and it would have two flasks, ours used to have two flasks in it, uh, one which had uh, tea and one which had coffee in, and you unscrewed the bottom of the flask, and there was the milk in there, And my mum would take some cups down and everything else and crisps and she'd make some ham sandwiches and some tomatoes. And there'd be some apples and some chocolate biscuits and you'd head down to the beach and you couldn't wait. You couldn't wait to go running in and out of the sea. And it was very salty if you got it in your mouth. Oh, dreadful. And then you'd have a bucket and spade, but we didn't have a bucket and spade. Because that cost money and we didn't have very much money. And so you'd dig in the sand and then you'd form shapes with your hands and sand castles. And you could just about afford a packet of little flags. And there'd be a donkey ride on the beach, but you couldn't afford a donkey ride. And they always smelt anyway. But donkeys just walked up and down beaches. And that was the British holiday. If you were lucky, you had a kite. A kite on the beach because there was always wind coming in off the sea. And that's what I remember. I've got pictures of us on the beach in Bridlington, if you please. There was nobody on the beach for eight though you couldn't see anybody. There was just us and the windbreak. Me, my auntie Ivy, my two cousins, my mum, my brother, and me. And packets of crisps, that's all I remember. And sand in your swimming trunks. God dear me. Happy days. Happy days, and you'd come back and you'd be a little bit burnt, your mum would make you stand there while she put suntan lotion on your arms make sure you didn't get horribly burnt. And luckily we're falling back in love with the seaside again. We're going to the seaside. And then if you were really lucky, your parents would take you to see a seaside show. It would either be on the pier or it would be the Bournemouth Winter Gardens or the South End Winter Gardens. And you'd go and see some big star of the day. I don't know who they put on there now. I don't know who would actually be on these places. But the, uh, the seaside then went through a decline because people discovered you could go abroad. For the same price that you could stay in Bournemouth or stay in Brighton, you can go abroad. And we discovered the delights of foreign food, paella, and lots of seafood and stuff like that, and waiters called Manuel and Conchitas. And, and they did all this stuff, and then they did... Oh, it was wonderful. And they did different ice cream abroad. God, that was the big thing, wasn't it? Ice cream when you went to the beach. And you'd walk along there, and you'd sit there. And if you were little, you had a sun hat on. And if you weren't, you didn't. And we used to love it. And we did go abroad. And then we did caravanning holidays. That was the other cheap British holiday. But the idea of us all going back to the British seaside, I think, is fantastic. They just need to up their ante a little bit. They need to make sure they've got some really good quality tourist hotels. You know, not some of these old run-down monoliths, which seem to be all over the place. Somewhere, you know, where you can go there and it's actually some sort of standard. You know, and you've got fantastic views. And some people just like to sit in a deck chair up on the seafront or sitting on the pier, and that's lovely. And you sit there, and then you walk past these people, and some of them have fallen asleep, and that was always nice. Then there'd be a bit of a fun fair at the end of the pier. All great stuff, all great stuff, really is. There is the story in the uh, paper today about the man that you saw the other day, the surfer who punched a shark that was attacking him, has escaped without a mark and told the predator, Thanks for not eating me. He didn't get one mark. This is a guy uh, called Mick. Uh, In South Africa, Mick Fanning, and it shows the fin emerging behind him, then him hitting the beast before scrambling into a boat. I mean, he says he doesn't hold any grudge. He said, because we're in their domain. And I've always said that. Same as foxes. Same as foxes. We're in their domain. They, They were there before us, I think you'll find. And in the case of the shark, that's where they swim. This is my bath. What are you doing in it? Could take a bite out of it, but it didn't in this case. He punched it, the shark went, what the dickens was that? And then swam away. And there is the asylum seeker from Iran, who stole a floral tribute left for a couple, gunned down in the Tunisia terror attack, has been fined. This is a guy called Cheyenne Moradissahi. He took the bouquet from under a police cordon and said he wanted to brighten up his home in a homeless hostel. This is an asylum seeker. A thieving asylum seeker. It's disgraceful, really. Hammersmith magistrates were told that he suffered from trauma and depression. God, honestly, they wheel that out now, don't they? He then um, uh, They fined him £20, plus £285 cost, and he then had the cheek to shout at them, I'm sick, I have mental problem, how can I pay? They give me poison and make me disabled. And that seems to be the answer to it all now, and we just go, oh, poor old soul, not me, not me. I'm afraid I've lost, lost track of the amount of people who've been disrespectful to this country. I've had enough of it, I think. I've really had enough of it. It gets to that stage where you think, how ungrateful do you have to be? How ungrateful? You thieves... You know the difference between right and wrong. I don't care what you've got. You know the difference between right and wrong. Alison Phillips writes about uh, Cheryl Cole. Uh, he said about her... This is Simon Cowell. Uh, she eats like a horse. What he really meant was a rocking horse. Yes, I mean, the uh, thin, emaciated, skinny little legs, I mean, just like a bag of bones that talks, and uh, not that well, not that well. All over the country, she says, there is uh, a group of masked men abducting our children, they entice them to run off. When they've only gone down the shops and they're never seen again. Like all good groomers, they can spot an easy target. They go for the vulnerable, the stupid. They go for the ones whose parents couldn't give a fig what their child are up to. Jihadi John, in his school days, is pictured in the papers. And then he wears his black hood. But we know who you are, mate. We know exactly who you are. And uh, one day, they will be blowing you up, blowing you apart. So now they wear these black hoods of the Islamic State. And... uh, and they, they're they wandering either actually or virtually the streets of Britain. And the parents have got no idea. Where's our daughter gone? Well, she's gone to be a jihadi bride. Or as we pr- prefer to tell them, because now I think you have to be honest with them, they've gone to work in ISIS's brothels. And that's what they do. And these are children who quite clearly don't want to be at home. They can't stand their parents. They thieve from them to go over there. How you can ever make that sound appealing to anybody, I can't imagine. But uh, for some people who are simpletons, that's what they do. Drones as well... Come into the news today. What they're saying is they don't mind people using drones, but they just think that they should be well away from aircraft. They should be well away, because one, apparently, was only about 20 metres away from an aircraft coming into land. And people like them. You can buy them. They're on sale in London. They probably got them on sale where you are. And some of them are quite big, about £300 drones. And they've got a camera on which transmits back to your tablet or whatever you've got. And I have to be honest, there's a certain appeal to it. But they say that they need to be limited. They're not saying don't have one because it's a piece of modern technology. And without them, I shouldn't imagine a state agent could get any pictures of their properties at all. That's how they take most of them for Country Life magazine or for most of the big estate agents. I think they carry a drone in the car anyway so they can get some nice pictures of what the property looks like from the air. So they have their, their uses. It's just that some people, I mean, some of them actually fire guns. They were demonstrating one on the television this morning of, of a gun being fitted onto it that you can fire. It is quite amazing. Quite amazing. Uh, also, in the papers today, the, the knife crackdown. And this was an amazing one. Uh, police found in, in just one car boot 62 lethal blades. This was destined for use by a criminal Gang. A 39-year-old man has been held on suspicion of possessing firearms, and in one boot of the car, 62 deadly weapons. They, they must have been tipped off by somebody, mustn't they? You don't just pick at a car at random and go, "Let's open the boot of that one." You have to open it to discover exactly what's what's in it. Uh, also, in the paper today: Lily Allen. Uh, we've lost we lost interest really in Lily Allen ever since we're not too sure where she's coming from or which which land she's in at the moment, and. Um, Something else here, Joey Essex, I mentioned earlier on how much he turned over last year, which is more than the Chancellor and more than the, uh, the Prime Minister. And so uh, he's, he's been snubbed uh, by, uh, by leader. They don't want to interview interviewed by Joey Essex, thank you very much indeed. So he's bought a house in Chigwell, where he's been throwing barbecue parties by the pool, I think one and the house, they say, is £1.6 million. Well, it'll be on a mortgage, assuming that he can still afford to pay it. So, I told you, next year, you watch, I think his earnings will drop. If he started having to do game shows on the television, there's a limit to how many times you can see somebody silly on a game show before the uh, the joke wears a bit thin. So, predict the earnings to drop next year. The bubble might just be about to burst. Quarter past five.
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Ferrari at 7 o'clock this morning on LBC. Should Sir John be forced to accept help to roll out his Iraq inquiry report? Is the game up for Labour, at least for one generation? Tony Blair's giving a speech about the Labour leadership. And we hear from a friend of the murdered teaching assistant, an anti-knife campaigner, who was stabbed to death at the weekend in Enfield. That's Nick and the team from 7 this morning, after the morning news with Lisa Aziz. It's Steve Allen's uh, early breakfast. Chris says, uh, Victoria's sponge sounds delicious, but no what sits this morning. Actually, I might better find a packet a little bit later on, if I'm so, so minded, which I might be able to. Uh, Labour's fighting to survive. Last night, the biggest crisis in its history is open warfare erupted among senior figures. Ex-Minister Kim Howells said he feared for the party's future. I don't know, it's all collapsing, isn't it? First of all, with the Lib Dems, who've come up with somebody nobody's ever heard of before, who seems to have his own agenda and has had to backtrack left, right and centre. And now the Labour Party, uh, far from being Andy Burnham, who's the favourite, it's uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who's uh, streak's ahead. Should be quite interesting to watch this one. Uh, Also, the savings. I think everybody has, uh, has agreed with the government. And I didn't agree with the caller to Darren Adam earlier on. That, you know, we shouldn't be sort of taking away benefits from people. Uh, Most people, of course, we should never be putting them on them in the first place. It seems to be so easy to fiddle uh, your uh, expenses now and to make sure you get benefits that people tell lies. Eventually they get caught out and you discover that they're, they're just a bunch of tea leaves. They thieve from people. So you have to cut them back. And I think they're looking for, I forget how many billion pounds worth of savings. And it could be quite easily done. Quite easily done. I don't think, you know, having loads of children is the answer to getting benefits. I think you have to... You know, you should plan this properly. I have no intention of paying for people just because they've decided to sit back and start having children, pushing them out like a football team. I'm not interested in something like that. I'm interested in somebody who's going to make a contribution to the country, not the country making a contribution to them. Uh, Bangers and crash. We've lost interest. We've lost our love affair with the humble sausage. We're going for, dare I say it, foreign sausages, ladies and gentlemen. People absolutely... I mean, really... Cumberland sausages are quite delicious. If you ever get a really good Cumberland sausage, that is delicious, really. Lincolnshire sausages, dominated by sage. A lot of sage. If you don't like sage, you're not going to like them. Uh, Chorizo, these paprika-flavoured pork sausages from Spain, get their distinctive smokiness uh, from dried smoked red peppers. Toulouse, filled with pork, red wine and garlic. The French favourites are not... For the faint-hearted, you better love garlic. A bit like Polish sausages. <laughs> There's a lot of garlic in Polish sausages. You better brace yourself for it. And um, and one from a from North Africa, a red spicy mutton or beef-based sausage. See, I think really, you see, I don't think you can beat a good German sausage. I'm I'm quite big into German sausages. But you know the the history of the... You were aware of the history of the sausage. You thought they just sort of came along with walls and people like that in Richmond. No, no, no. In 27 BC. Hands up who was around. Yeah, just me again. Uh, the Romans dubbed bangers um, salsicium, which means something that's been salted, which is where the word sausage comes from. Sausage salted. Uh, the first Christian emperor of Rome, Constantine the Great, declares eating sausages a sin and bans them in 320 AD. That's because of their association with pagan festivals. All goes back to pagan, doesn't it? Everything's pagan nowadays. Um, in the 1400 The word sausage is first used in English. Uh, 1625, they're divided into links for the first time in Britain at the start of the reign of Charles I. First recorded use of the adjective sausage by the author D.H. Lawrence. He uses it to describe a cathedral in Sardinia in 1921. 1939, sausages get their name bangers for the first time. Uh, Rationing means... That they've got high water content, so they tend to explode when the water turns to steam. And the longest sausage has been made in Sheffield in 2000. It was to mark British Sausage Week, and it stretched for 35 miles and weighed 15 tonnes. For a sausage, that's what you call, that's a hell of a lunchtime session. Love it! I love it! I can't, I, I can't wait for the German market to arrive in Kingston every year because every year I go down there and they do that uh, that wurst with the cheese in it, the Kaiserwurst, and that in the middle, oh, just to, to die for. Seriously, I could become quite ill on sausages. I've got to check the content. I don't want to. I don't normally want to eat any sausage that's not about. 92 to 98% meat. The rest of it can be filler. And some of the, the strange sausages I've had in, in my time. You taste them and you think, I don't think there's any meat in here at all. I really don't. Other stories which are in the uh, the papers today. Uh, the, uh, the web affair boss... On a £500 million empire, he says we're on the doorstep of who we think is the culprit. This is uh, yesterday, the owner of the adultery website, Ashley Madison. He says he knows who helps steal data from a million love-cheap Britons. Amazing, isn't it, that something like that is worth so much money, £500 million. Can't believe it. Cannot believe it. And uh, women go batty for Nora hairnets. Nora Batty-style hairnets are seeing a rise in popularity for the first time. Apparently Scouse Girls buy the most. No surprise there. <laughs> the trend is being put down to a new army of younger women who wear them over rollers to, uh, to perfect their curls. Colleen Rooney, Alex Curran and Abby Clancy. Oh God, three of the biggest balls you'd be hard pushed to find anywhere else. Have all been pictured wearing them out and about. Retailer House of Bath says sales have risen 43%. And uh, they claim that 64% of all deliveries have been made to the Liverpool region. Because it is the only place, you never see it in London, I've never seen it in London at all, of of women, real chavvy women, going out with their hair in curlers to the shops, going shopping with their hair in curlers. I mean, that, they don't go any lower than that, do they, really? And the amount of times that we've seen Colleen Rooney out with her hair in curlers, it's something you're either brought up with or you just go, I think that is really naff. I think it's really, really naff. Uh, David Beckham's got his first film role. Apparently, in uh, his screen debut, is going to be in The Man from Uncle in the movie about secret agents working to stop a criminal organization's plans to use nuclear weapons. Bex has taken the part of a projectionist who will reveal the main mission for the lead actors at the start of the movie. Wow. Of course, they've never been able to put him in there because, so I'm going to give you your orders now and you're all going to go out there and be very, very famous. And people are going to be going, <coughs> Try. I think the trouble is that they, they've sort of tried to make him look butch, and it does. It only works for his photos. When he has to walk and talk at the same time, I think that's texting. Uh, sorry, taxing him just a little bit too much. But uh, it's part of Guy Ritchie. So uh, there's no missing golden balls in the Guy Ritchie flick. Beck's get the gets the plot going. Well, I mean, does he have any history? No. Does Guy Ritchie have a history of having hugely successful films? Not really. Not really. This this could be a, a straight-to-DVD movie, with or without David Beckham. And I don't think David Beckham, to be honest with you, is a force to be reckoned with in the acting world, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Paddy McGuinness must have plenty of inspiration for sitcom characters from his time hosting the dating show Take Me Out. But rather than creating a skit around lovesick girls looking for the one in the love lift, he's gone for an altogether different concept, a series based on Dragon's Den-style Entrepreneur, this is his latest project. Every other one has failed up until now. He's had shows cancelled left, right, and center. Poor soul! And um, he says, uh, I have watched a lot of Dragon's Den, so I think I'm qualified. This is his first comedy series. Everything else, as I say, is just that they've given up on. Don't, don't do it. People like him on the Take Me Out game show, which is where a lot of overdressed women. I think that's what we can call them, uh, decide to stand there and appeal desperately on television for a date with anybody, just about anybody. And it doesn't always work, I'm afraid. And so they then bring a guy on, and uh, he then sort of says what he's looking for and then he has to go around and turn off all the lights of uh, the girls who don't stand a cat in 80s chance of ever getting a date with him. And so it's, it's terribly disappointing, but they obviously enjoy doing it. It's obviously sort of a bit of fun and uh, he's, he's particularly good at hosting it. Uh, we're all in agreement, says Malcolm, that Blackpool is a dump. But it does have one redeeming feature in the shape of the Grand Theatre, one of the great Frank Matcham masterpieces. Yes, I would have to agree with you there. It's a shame, isn't it? Come bombs, rain on Blackpool. But no, it does have the Grand, and it is beautiful. And it does have the Blackpool Tower ballroom, which is absolutely gorgeous. And it's like going and being inside a giant wedding cake. But the rest of it is the biggest dump you've ever seen in your entire life. It's absolutely awful. It really is. It just seems to appeal to the lowest common denominator. And I I don't quite know why. Uh, Paul says whatever Cheryl's name is hopefully she will fade away completely at least then she's taking up even less of that wasted space she occupies <laughs> keep up the diet he says I think he's thinking that she gets smaller and smaller and smaller till so eventually she just goes and she disappears there's a little sort of bubble thing that makes me smile actually I like the idea that she is getting thin but the trouble is if you've only put on an, you know a couple of pounds in real life on television it looks absolutely enormous um. Uh, love 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 Nigella Lawson says uh, boil the tins of condensed milk for banoffee pie she says be sure that the tins are submerged in the water at all times or else you'll be cleaning the ceiling oh I did that once actually I had one of those um, liquidisers and I didn't put the lid on properly So I turned it on and the whole thing shot up in the air I laughed actually through the tears and uh, it's Nestle who make the tin of ready made toffee for the use in making the pie uh, the ever safe Delia Smith avoids the whole problem by making a banoffee cheesecake, which is a route also travelled by Jamie Oliver. Since James Martin is by trade a dessert chef, I thought I'd seek him out on the net. Again, like Delia, James plays it safe and makes a banoffee cheesecake instead, which doesn't use condensed milk. <laughs> love James. Love James. I love Delia. I've never talked to Delia before. i mean, we must, uh, try and make sure the next time she's, uh, she's in town. Uh, and sort of get her in for in conversation, I think. That'd be a, a good one. Uh, time now is 5.30. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, every Wednesday, the 22nd of July. Fond memories of the seaside for Noreen, because in the 60s, Mum and Dad took them to Great Yarmouth, booked my little brother and me to see Donovan and The Who in the afternoon show. We turned up, we saw The Who. After the interval, the compare came out and said Donovan hadn't turned up and to go home when we get our money back the next day. Second show was cancelled. Move on to a few years, and I asked Brian, this is the the ever-suffering Brian, if he ever saw The Who. Can you believe he was in Great Yarmouth, same time as we were, and was booked for the later show, but he never got to see The Who? Blackpool isn't all bad. My family live in Thornton, Clevelies, and it's very nice, but we love a stroll along the prom with a Kiss Me Quick hat. And by the way, how old is Cat Stevens today? So very young. How could you leave us this time? He's 67. I still love Matthew and Son. I could still play Matthew and Son. I know he's now called Yusuf Islam, and I know that he's uh, he's turned his attention away, but he still plays, I believe. And Matthew and Son, I'm going to get me a gun, and... Um, Oh, God, so many good songs from, from Cat Stevens. I'd love to talk to him, actually. He's, he's never actually been available. He, I'm, I'm sure he doesn't enjoy doing interviews, cause only because people will probably go back on the early stuff. But when you listen to Matthew and Son, that just summed up a particular era, as far as I was concerned. I could listen to that forever and a day. In exactly the same way, I could also listen to Keith West doing excerpt from a teenage opera. You know, the one that goes, Groser Jack, Groser Jack, get off. And all the little kids sing it. And it was, it was just fantastic. I could listen to stuff like that for ages. It, it obviously sums up a part of your life that, uh, that you uh, remember, and you remember it, I think, with sort of great affection, because I thought the music was better than it is now. I could listen to music, and I'm in a building surrounded by music stations, and sometimes I don't even know who the artists are, and they go, this is number one, and I go, is it? I don't even know who's in the charts anymore. I can only do the old stuff. What does that tell you? Richard says the expanding North Pole ice cap is uh, perhaps indicating a third ice age is on the way. When the freezing stuff reaches London, do you think we might get an apology from the global warming people? Or will they still be protesting? It's all our fault and it's really getting hotter. Yes, I mean, if it's increased by 40%, I mean, that's that's some going, isn't it? The polar ice cap. 40% increase. That means there's more of it. I'd love to go there on a holiday. I would love to go there on a holiday. That would be the place that I would really, really enjoy. I think. Uh, Kevin, the birthday Milman, says, can I say thank you to everybody for the birthday wishes? Yes, 37-ish. And the legs and white socks are on display this morning. <laughs> very brave. Very, very brave indeed. Although, actually, I, I, I did wear shorts yesterday, but that was only at home. I don't mind Lynn seeing my legs. She's seen them enough times now. Uh, another one who says, you're quite right about Sally Jacks' voice in Ideal World. It makes your ears bleed. It is the worst voice of it. It's screechy, scratchy, horrible voice. Uh, another one here. Uh, Caribbean children's sausage, says Les. Well, that sounds quite nice, quite nice. And uh, Steve, school are on summer holidays this weekend. Oh, most people are out of school. They're on my holidays already. I think it depends, doesn't it? I used to love making kites on seaside holidays. Yeah, there was a kite kit, wasn't there, Tony, I think? And uh, he said, uh, my... Um, my brother was pulled along by this one. It was uh, it was built at Westwood. It was so big. So, so big. We used to love kites. We never made them. Hong Kong, we had better kites because they were all made out of rice paper and coloured, and they were so cheap. And you have loads of, of coloured kites everywhere. Very nice. Your uh, description of holiday, uh, spot on. My parents had a holiday flat in Westgate, near Margate. Such wonderful holidays, Steve. And uh, there were carnivals, too. I loved the donkeys. Used to go on the... Uh, Egbert and my sister, Dick Barton, every year. How on earth I still remember it, says Bevin Edgware, being in my 60s. Oh, God, you're making it sound bad now, isn't it? Um, another one here. It says uh, there was something on television last night. Way too late for you. And um, Jaywick, it was called. Look really bad on Big Brother. I've stopped watching. I think it's had its day. Well, I mean, if you've seen the uh, the lineup that they're putting in the new one, it's just all the people that you absolutely hate. Absolutely hate. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, another one here, which says, uh, I sound like I'm living by the coast instead of archway. The noise of the seagulls on the roof of the Whittington Hotel, uh with Whittington Hospital this morning, is absolutely unbelievable. Thank you for mentioning the train driver, Steve, says Ross. Both my partner and myself are drivers. My partner's recovering from a recent suicide. It's a very difficult situation. I don't know why, actually. Tony says... Why don't you consider your carbon footprint? I couldn't I couldn't care less about carbon footprints. I'm really not remotely bothered. I'm not going to be alive forever and a day, so I couldn't care less about carbon footprint. I've got better things to worry about than carbon footprints nowadays. Although I've used the expression myself. I've said to people, do you imagine the carbon footprint on that? You know, I bought some strawberries the other day, and uh, they're from America. and And I said, imagine the carbon footprint on that. And then... And then, of course, I go and buy my Tommy Bahama shirts in in America and have them uh, shipped over here. So the carbon footprint of my shirt. But I mean, to be honest, who cares? It's like recycling. I can't get to recycling. Lynn's fantastic at doing it. She does really good recycling. When we were clearing out the rubbish yesterday, she went, that's for the charity shop. That's what I, you wouldn't believe the stuff I got rid of. You would not believe... Even I was quite proud of myself. Because somebody said to me once, if, you, if you're having a clear-out at home and you're having one of those mega clear-outs, if you've not looked at something for the best part of six months, get rid of it. Unless it's paperwork and you need it for the accountant. But if, you, if you've not, you know, looked at something, why would you keep it? The trouble is, I'm a hoarder. And, a ter- and it was actually quite a wrench yesterday. Although once I'd got into the swing of it, I was quite happily throwing it away left, right and centre. So I managed to condense down... One of those huge Sports Direct bags, which looks like a giant laundry bag. That was full to the top with books and CDs and I found three sat-navs. I've already got two in the car. I've got one built in and I've got another separate one, which is a bit faster than the one built in. And now i found another three sat-navs. I've never known anybody with so many sat-navs. So I think I'm going to get my, my brother to uh, to eBay them. Uh, but I'm not sure how much sat nabs go for on eBay. I'll leave that up to him. He's he's, he's more, more qualified than I am. Uh, Ricky likes My Lady de Banwey, which is uh, Cat Stevens as well, who is very good. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, this one here, this one here is... Oh, wait minute, I have just moved on to a different thing, actually. Sorry, I, I picked up the, the wrong thing. Uh, the size of the frying pan, Terry says, the biggest sausage was... Th- 35 miles long. Yeah, 35 they made it to, c- to celebrate British sausage week. <coughs> love sausages. Love sausages. I just uh, just love it. Anybody gone public on last Friday's euro millions yet, says Patrice? No. And if they don't, you always think to yourself, I bet that'll be there will be somebody from France. I'm just waiting for it to be Bryn. I can uh, I can see that now. Bryn and Annie sort of scoop all these millions. Uh, They become a seaside menace, as you know, and it's seagulls, isn't it? Stealing uh, passers-by's food from out of their hands. They're such a problem that even the Prime Minister wants to start a big conversation about a recent spate of attacks on humans. But one council insists it can't ban people from feeding them because it would go against some religious beliefs. What? Religious beliefs feeding seagulls. Apparently, it's thought to encourage them. If you feed them, it forces them to come down because they're looking for food. They see you there. They associate person food. Where is it? Where is it? So they attack. Bosses in County uh, Conway, Conway County Council in North Wales, have claimed banning it could breach anti discrimination law. In an online discussion with other council, Jim Jones. Hello, Jim. See, look, you bark. Head of Tourism and Leisure tweeted, We looked at the issue of fines, but were told it's their right to feed birds within some religions. What religions? Never heard of such a thing. Uh, It's utter poppycock, says one person. Somebody said, pets have been viciously killed. What religious beliefs are these? Somebody says, the feeding of birds is not a religious edict in any faith, although many individuals do it on a day-to-day basis. Well, I mean, it's law. Judaism, Christianity and Hinduism all encourage encourage believers to care for animals. Not if they're going to kill you. Earlier this month, the Yorkshire Terrier was pecked to death. It's thought the birds felt threatened by the family pet. The dog managed to escape to the kitchen, but uh, was found in the kitchen by the owner in a pool of blood and was eventually put to sleep. Um, A week later, Jan found her pet tortoise Stig on his back with a gull gorging on him. The tortoise died two days later. There's been a 50% decline in herring gull numbers over the past 30 years. But there is no, there is absolutely nothing. They're not protected or anything like that. I think that their eggs are protected and their chicks. But to be honest with you, there's no religious right that you can't, uh, you can't, you know, you can stop people feeding seagulls. You get. We used to have. Do you remember we used to have the mad woman who used to live around Twickenham Way, and she would turn up on the bus pulling a little trolley behind her of which she had tonnes of bread and birdseed, and she'd just throw it all down by the riverside in Twickenham, and people would be shouting obscenities at her, like, go away, you silly old bat. And uh, luckily, she's not been around for a while, so I'm hoping she's gone to the great uh, heaven in the sky and she can feed them as much as she likes up there. But the worst thing is that you get people who come down from Waitrose supermarkets, the till operators, and they're chucking a load of food. I say, we, we, we've got birds around our way. They're too fat to fly. They just waddle. Along the side of the road. If they have been fed once, they'd been fed 20 times in the course of a day. You feel like saying to people, this this woman, the mad one, with the trolley, even though there are big signs up saying, do not feed the pigeon, she just empties all this bird seed. You feel like but she's got such a foul mouth on her. But as I say, I've not seen her for ages. So I'm hoping she's found somewhere else to go to. Prison would be useful. Prison would be very helpful. Uh, little Julie, little Julie, says, uh, thank you for starting my day with a smile. I moved to Kenya. To live about seven months It's not our little Julie. It's another one. uh, Seven months ago to listen. I can listen to your show at four at six here. And just waking up watching the sunrise most of the time, you say out loud what I'm thinking in a very funny way. Well, there you go. I don't care where you listen. I'm not sure that you feature in my figures. I'm not sure that you feature in the 4 a.m. spike over in Kenya. But I would like to think that in a small way... You have contributed. Uh, I'm so glad, says Irene, you like uh, German uh, Käsewurst. My parents had a butcher's shop in Austria and we produced tons of it. Oh, I love it. I first had it in Vienna years ago and that was the first place. I, I knew an English lady who had a Wurst stand uh, just um, up from the Kirtnerstrasse, And I used to go there in the morning. And She only discovered I was British when I went there one time. I was struggling through my German and she went, do you want the one with the cheese in it? <laughs> And I said, oh, you're English. She said, yes, yeah. I married a German, which happens in a lot of cases. And he, he owned Wurstand, so very profitable they are, too. But, oh, no, the cheese was oh, dear to die for, to die for. I'm not even sure you can buy them in this country. I bought some other sausages the other day in Costco, which had bacon wrapped around. They were horrid. So I, I've decided not to not to go for those ever again. But I'm not even sure if you can buy a case You must be able to, if if they sell them on markets. They must be buying them from somewhere. Delicious. Delicious. Lots of tributes in the paper today to uh, the eldest son of Sir David Frost. His widow paid tribute yesterday to uh, Miles. He died at the age of 31. He'd been out uh, jogging. Lady Carina uh, Fitzalan Howard says, Miles, quite simply, was born an old soul and everybody was drawn to his wisdom, love, loyalty and laughter. His, uh, his brothers, Wilfred, who's a TV presenter, and George, who runs a drinks company, said Miles was the kindest and most generous brother we could have wished for. Since Dad died, he was the leader of the pack. But, uh, he must have, You remember that um, David Frost died from a heart attack on board the Queen Elizabeth Cruise Liner in 2013. So, very sad, very sad. But, uh, 30, there must have been some sort of heart defect there, but I've often said, you never see happy joggers, do you? They never run along the road going, ha, 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 ha. I don't do that at all. It's all a little bit too serious. And I know because I've got listeners who do go jogging every morning. I've got people who go to gyms listen to this programme. There's people listening in gyms who, uh, who are sort of addicted to it. I'm told it's an addiction. It's never, never quite struck me like that. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, Jeans is Edmonton, says you have no wife nor 17 children, let alone one. You take transit every day. You have no air conditioning in summer and wait forever to turn on your heating in the winter. Tell people to mind their own business on the carbon footprint thing. Yes. I always love it when people... I always sort of want to say to them, oh, do you do recycling? Do you do recycling? Just to find out whether or not people do it. Uh, the strain of the pool tragedy taking its toll on Demi Moore. This was somebody, I believe, who, who might have worked for her. And... Um, it's terrible, really. She was shopping in New York the other day. She was in complete shock following this this uh, death on on Sunday, although they were actually chatting and just doing designer shopping the other day. I mean, I don't think he was related to her, but it's still a shock, isn't it, when somebody dies in your swimming pool. Quarter to six.
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. It's 12 minutes to, uh, to six. So here is the proof, if proof were needed, that sex doesn't Sell. That's the message they're sending out to the ad men. Uh, whatever they might tell you, it doesn't sell. In fact, violence and sex puts people off buying products, research shows. We're so distracted by the graphic imagery we forget to take in what's in the commercial. You know, so when you see somebody going, mm, I eat this yogurt, mm, and I always think, ugh, <laughs> the analysis. Of 53 studies on the topic by US researchers reveals we view brands less favourably when sex is used to advertise them. And the raunchier the advert, the less we likely want to buy the product. Adverts shown during bloodthirsty thrillers and racy programmes also suffer. Uh, the Ohio State University researcher, Professor Brad Bushman, you can imagine what he's like, says sex and violence do not sell. And in fact, they may even backfire by impairing memory and attitudes and buying intentions for advertised products. Because we've all done that, haven't we? People say, did you see so-and-so advert? And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go, what was it advertising?" I go, oh, no idea. Not a clue. Not a clue. I just sort of watch an advert. I've got no idea what they're advertising half the time. I have to listen very, very carefully. Uh, my brother has another very successful, now both of his daughters have graduated. In fact, actually, it's the first time I've actually seen him looking that smart. He's tweeted me a picture of him with his uh, girls, Jess and Tash. And, uh, and he's got a music tie. I've got no idea why he'd be wearing a tie like that. It's always as if he's a, sort of a musician who didn't quite make it. <laughs> but anyway, so all happy down there and uh, everybody looking very, very smart. Um, going on past history, I wouldn't trust anything to do with religion. Uh, coming from somebody called Jim Jones... Yes, Miltman Mark in Hemel says uh, last week I was delivering to a school. I saw that a fox had got itself caught in the nets of a football goal on the school field, so I had to call the RSPCA to get it out, as the kids were due to come in soon, and that could have been quite dangerous. Yes, I mean they have these poles, don't they, which they put round, and then they can sort of come in and, and rescue it. But you do—I saw a fox the other day just about to run across the road, and it was only a small one, and I thought, oh, don't, don't run across the road. Please don't run across the road. And uh, I remember laying in bed as a kid listening to my dad playing Cat Stephen's Moon Shadow. The seagulls here, says Stephen Crawley on the building in Burgess Hill, are so noisy. It's not just the seaside. I went out to my van and I got bombed as there's a baby. Uh, one in the car park and I'm off to my caravan and the witterings at the weekend. I love it and so do the kids. Yes, I mean it's interesting, isn't it, that when you look at these seagulls, we've obviously created the problem ourselves. We've obviously decided that because people think, Oh, it's so great to feed them and they take it out of your hand, if of course somebody doesn't have any food or if there's a child sitting in a pram, or a push chair or a buggy or whatever it happens to be, holding an ice cream, the chances oh sorry, the chances are that the seagull is going to is going to dive bomb them and that's that's the, that's the danger that is the danger nowadays that you know it could be dangerous dog one minute could be child the next and then what will they have to do so here is a fortress older than the pyramids and uh, this has been found it's it's it, they say it was built it's uh, on the edge of monmouth in wales all these welsh stories we're getting on the program and uh, they were excavating for new homes and they un- uncovered a staggering archaeological discovery. They have found a fortified farmhouse built 4,900 years ago on a man-made island in an Ice Age lake. It's thought the fort, known as a crannog, was raised on stilts to protect it from attack by neighbouring tribes. Now, the lake has long disappeared, but the fort's timbers survive. And using radiocarbon dating, scientists have determined the house was built in 2917 BC. That is 300 years before the pyramids were built in Egypt, and the stones of Stonehenge were raised. Cranogs, natural or artificial islands, enclosed by a ring of stakes, have been found in Scotland and Ireland, but most of the 600 in Scotland are from much later. But this one was for a barrett Homes development. It comes two years after a neighbouring prehistoric boat-building site, thought to be among the oldest in the world, was found as well. In 2013, three 100-foot channels, the width of a canoe, were found dug into the earth, dating from 1700 B.C., they're thought to be grooves in which a twin-hulled boat was repaired with its supporting beam in the third channel. And they've got a piece of the, of the oak post. It's quite amazing, actually. When you think, there's all this stuff under our feet. All of it's there, and now it's a, a Barrett housing estate. <laughs> it doesn't quite sound as exciting, does it? Uh, pictures here. The awesome painting of a bloodied British soldier will star in a brave exhibition of the Empire's most stirring masterpieces. And it'll drive the PC lobby... Hopping mad. Nestled in the dusty hills of eastern Afghanistan, the British sentries on the walls of Jalalabad saw a speck in the distance in 1842. As the speck came closer, they realised it was a man. It was Dr. William Bryden, the assistant surgeon in the British Army that had occupied the Afghan capital Kabul just two years earlier. Bryden was in a terrible state. Part of his skull had been sheared off by Afghan attackers. It was a miracle he was still alive. When his rescuers asked where was the rest of the British army, he said, I am the army. The occupation of Afghanistan had been a disaster. The British retreat from Kabul, in which almost 17,000 were massacred by tribesmen, was one of the greatest military catastrophes in history. To the Victorian public, the story of Dr Bryden, the lone survivor, became an irresistible reminder of the dangers of imperial Khubri. Years later, his story was immortalised in a stunning, powerful painting by Elizabeth Butler, uh, poignantly titled The Remnants of an Army. And that exhibition is at Tate Britain from November the 25th. You're going to get uh, Gordon's Last Stand. uh, Also, uh, T.E. Lawrence, Colonel Lawrence by Augustus John. And uh, also, you get um, a guy called John Buchan. This is Karsh's photo of John Buchan in a native headdress. They're all pictures which you will be familiar with. And so you'll have to go to, I can't bear Tate Modern. I'm sorry, I'm the only person who doesn't like it. I don't mind an exhibition like this because I quite understand... Oh, it's Tate Britain, isn't it? Tate Modern, I never understood at all. I went round there with a friend and he went, you're not enjoying this, are you? I said, I'm absolutely not enjoying it. I said, I just don't understand this. I love the, uh, the portrait gallery. I love that. And, and I love all the other museums. I cannot get on with Tate Modern at all. I just don't understand it. You know, and one of them we, we saw a short while ago. It was... Um, there was just a pile of cutlery on a table and that was called Art. I just thought it was rubbish. I never, never got Tracy Emin's unmade bed. I thought, come and take a picture of my bed every day. It looks exactly the same as, you know, I, d- I really didn't understand that. And perhaps I'm obviously not educated enough when it comes down to, uh, to understanding art. But there again, you know, I just like to see what I like to see. Here's uh, Prince uh, George. Here he is, an eight-page souvenir pullout in the papers today. And uh, oh, sorry, and it's a very nice picture too, you know, looks absolutely wonderful. Two years old, but is it really 24 months? Is it really two years since we celebrated his arrival? And uh, there's a picture of him in May. It's almost like they've made him up for the cameras, seriously. I know he's only a little baby. And so he's visiting his baby sister Charlotte in the same hospital. I think there are more, actually. I think there are more. I think there'll be more babies on the way, and uh, and that'll be quite nice, won't it? Uh, The headline on the Daily Star this morning is possibly the most unusual one. Psycho seagulls keep out illegals. Producer loved that one. We had to incorporate it into it. And they say Britain has a new last line of defence to keep illegal immigrants out of the country. A flock of dive-bombing psycho seagulls. Apparently... UK truckers said the ravenous birds are swooping on foreigners trying to sneak over here from the jungle camp in Calais. And so they've done a ton of feature on it. So that's their main headline. Obviously, couldn't find anything else to talk about, apart from psycho seagulls. But I think the problem's getting worse because they're so big. And we seem to have two types in London. I think we've got the big seagulls, where the wingspan must be five feet across, and then we've got the herring gulls. Or perhaps it's the other way around. Either way, that some of them are quite big. They're quite big and could probably do you on a, you know, on a, on a fairly serious basis, being pecked by these things. I've seen them actually. Who was it went out? Was it Attenborough went out onto some island where he was dive bombed by seagulls? Because, uh, you know, he, he looked as though he was going to be a threat to their eggs and they would dive bomb him. They had no hesitation in dive bombing, which they do all the time. Uh, seagulls, says Margaret and said, Ives, we live by the sea, have seagulls on our roof. Often we eat outside and they never bother us. We just ignore them. It's the best. I oh, would think they're all a bit showy offy. <laughs> Just don't don't look at them. They're attention-seeking seagulls. Okay, we don't need to look at them at all. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just eat. The thing I always get if I eat outside and it's not my most favorite occupation is um is when uh wasps decide that I'm the target for the day. I cannot bear it, honestly. I would happily put a little bowl of raspberry jam, let them sit it then put a lid on it and then get rid of them. I can't bear wasps. Bees I can cope with. I can be watering the hanging baskets at home, and bees will be on there. They just move out of the way till I finish watering. And I talk to them as well. I'm How sad is that? But I think they're used to hearing voices. If they've come from a hive, somebody musty, must be talking to them, mustn't they? I would say sorry if I inadvertently get them a bit wet, because I don't want them to attack me. I don't think they would, but I'm just, I'm just being particularly careful with anything like that. Uh, I loved the, um, the early work of Cat Stevens, but uh, i did see him on youtube as an islamist on tv uh well he he changed his religion he's now he's Yusuf of islam and has been for for a long 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 time uh, i don't know of uh, of what he was saying about anything that you mentioned Uh, So I shall have to check it out. Uh, Your description, Steve, of happy days at the seaside brought back lots of memories. I suddenly remembered how much I enjoy the crisps. No fancy flavours, just plain Smith's, I believe. And you had to search inside the packet to find the little blue twisted packet of salt. Happy days, says Peter. I know. It seems so simple. Can you imagine? I think the first flavoured crisps I had were roast chicken. Well, now that seems a bit passé, isn't it? Roast chicken or salt and vinegar. You know, now they've got everything from dead hedgehog to, you know, parsnip and this with a pinch of salt. We did them the other day, didn't we, Scrubbies? We were talking about all these exotic flavours of crisps. It's quite lovely, really. I remember trying to make crisps once. I was a dismal failure at it. Uh, it's a bit like being Bill Turnbull. He had telly fans choking on their cornflakes when he said a rude word live on television. He'd, um, he'd apparently been reading emails about people diagnosed with cancer when he slipped up. So, of course, every paper's done it. And uh, he's been there since God created heaven and earth. And I suppose every so often, mouth gets a little bit tongue-tied and you come up with a rude word. And then people go, ooh, he's in big trouble now. Uh, more pictures of the seagulls. They've taken a photographer down to Whitby, or up to Whitby, and, they, um, and they've and they just pictured them coming in to land and, and taking things. If you put food there, then they will take it. If you put food on, on top of your camera, then they're going to take the food off there uh, a vicar has defended his decision to marry total strangers for a reality show i'll tell you more about him the other side of the news and some of the other stories which are trending this morning including of course the dump truck chase carnage the fizzy pop fueling the surgeon diabetes and the chip shop boss who takes his parking fine fight right to the top it's lbc i'm steve allen
0: this is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC, text 84850, Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. It's five past six. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC, Wednesday, the 22nd of July. It's just, I don't quite think, actually. We haven't reached all because it's a bit round the corner. So the, uh, the style flops on the X Factor and Katie Waisel. ...goes on the rampage, calling poor old Cheryl Spagbol a complete fake. She said, if you're going on the programme, make sure you don't get her. She's only interested in the money. I suspect it's probably not just the money. Uh, Farewell to Nigel Mackenzie, the man who invented banoffee pie. Uh, Big Brother plumb's new depths. Kelly Maloney wants to join Loose Women. Uh, Doctors discover this cure for blindness. This is a very interesting one. And the driver who hit and killed a chicken stumped pal... Very sad. We've got a few stories like that in the paper. The ace rider kicked to death by her horse. I've often looked, I've, I've developed a slight fear of horses. They're so big now, and I used to ride all the time, but I've got this sort of fear of them now, thinking, you know, if the, if these things kick you, they can do you a lot of damage. Um, the dump trunk chase carnage, which is not an easy one to say. This is a dumper truck that was pinched by somebody. I wonder what sort of person would want to pinch a dumper truck. You can't exactly hide them on your driveway or cover it over with uh, with camouflage netting, can you? Um, the Man United wag, Sam Cook. I've never heard of her either. Who shocked commuters in first class by allowing a dog to eat breakfast. What a disgusting person. How awful. It actually sat on a chair and they put... A, it was... Oh, dear. my shame on the train company for even putting it there in the first place. I've never heard of such a thing. Fatherhood makes men pile on pounds... And um, the other story, which we quite liked in the paper today, the great grand sneaking out of the care home to get the first tattoo. which was 79. Didn't tell anybody. I think best to keep that a secret. Definitely best to keep a secret. Um, and so here, first of all, is Katie Waisel going on the attack over Cheryl Spag Spagbol, who, to be honest with you, doesn't actually know anything about music at all. Her last single, Bombed, I think the career is, is dead in the water. And uh, they both hit bum notes, in the fashion stakes, Rita Ora, not a clue of what to wear. I mean, the most ridiculous outfit I've ever seen. Chesa, they said, uh, wore a peacock dress that looked like Granny's curtains. I think that kind of sums it up. But uh, um, Katie, Katie Waisel says she's just there for the money. People think I've got this huge thing against Cheryl, and granted, I do. She's fake. I just think there's no substance to her. She can be very abrupt and rude. Of course she can. We know, we've know. we seen evidence of her rudeness. You know how nasty she can be. Definitely not a nice person. One Direction's Louis Tomlinson. Could be set to tie the knot if Brianna Youngworth's mother has anything to do with it. Oh, God, you're locked into this one, love. And uh, there's a picture of the, uh, the mother. It doesn't look pleasant. Not good. Apparently, Brianna's religious-minded gran, Ruth Clark Smith, is also in on the act. And, um... Oh, wait a minute, I'm going to hear some noise in my headphones. There are no problems. I'm hearing noise in my headphones, thank you. I could hear her breathing. I thought she was going to say something any second now. And so, uh, Louis, well, say farewell to your fortune, pal. Mind you, that's your own fault, isn't it? Uh, Princess Pointless, Princess Kate, is boring and old-fashioned. Who says so? An Oxford academic. This is according to uh, Professor Helen Watanabe O'Kelly, emiratus fellow at exeter college. college she says kate had nothing to offer britain at all she lacks cultural influence oh, dear what a sad person poor professor helen watanabe O'Kelly, kelly emiratus fellow at exeter college well it's the last we ever hear of you i should imagine dear what a dreary some of these people are look at this an angler i love anglers i'm very very happy with anglers but this is the catch of a lifestyle uh, li- lifetime a 19 stone shark off the coast of Milford Haven. See, the trouble is, this this thing is uh, is is quite clearly dead now, and so it's it's a pointless exercise. Why can't they just throw them back again? But they don't do things like that, do they? So that's uh, that's why. Cara Delevingne. Never a day goes by where we don't have to suffer with yet more of this boring girl's dreary life. And um, there's still an item. And it's all thanks to David Bowie because Cara gave her girlfriend a Bowie guitar. How dull and dreary. And uh, if you're an anorexic. Well, I have to tell you that six stone is not enough to get help on the NHS. It really isn't. Uh, The man who stole the 30-ton dumpster swerved through a road, smashed through a roundabout. Uh, He was found slumped at the wheel. He was pepper-sprayed and arrested. He smashed into a police car. What sort of person pinches a a dumper truck? I can't think of many people I would know. And uh, Manchester United wag Sam Cook shocked commuters by allowing her dog to sit on a seat in first class on virgin trains. Really, shouldn't have dogs on seats at all. And uh, the pooch was served chopped sausage from a dinner plate, and Sam Laster posted a snap. Perhaps she's a bit simple. She'd left Miley with a pal in London as she holidayed in Barbados with Chris. Virgin passengers can take two dogs for free on the trains, but they must be kept on leads and are not allowed on the seats. What's this one doing on a seat, then? She should be fined. Million pounds. Million pound fine stupid woman, honestly. Honestly, I can't believe it. What is the point of that? If I was on there, I'd have said to the staff working on Virgin, first, excuse me, dogs are not allowed on the seat. Why is this dog on a seat? And they should have gone, get off the seat. Shh! Off the seat. They sit under the seat. And to cut up food for it. As I say, we've never heard of Sam, and hopefully we never will again. That's just one of the stupid stories in the papers, which generally is guaranteed to get your blood boiling just a little tiny bit, just a little tiny bit. And here she is again, the publicity desperado, the creature that is Christiana Ryanov, the one who's been around the block about four times. And she's lashed out, because I should imagine there's a nasty side to her as well. She's a bit Cheryl Fernandez Spagbol, a bit like her. And uh, Twitter users have accused her of stealing other women's men. Uh, I don't think that's strictly true, actually. I mean, the last person she went out with uh, was Joe Kalsacki. As I say, she's done the rounds. She's certainly not bit backwards at coming forward and telling us about her uh, dreary little conquests. The latest one, of course, is uh, Ben Cohen. Pictured one of the papers on a beach looking uh, somewhat overweight and flabby. But there again, I'm sure she'll have her fling and she'll drag some publicity out of it. And we'll all be bored witless with her. And then I suddenly realised that um, people were, were sort of saying... Um, about her saying, you know, why don't you leave other people's husbands alone? And then she wrote back, you know, how pathetic your life must be if you find time to tweet something like this. So she's fallen into the trap of tweeting back to these sad people. But then she came up with the bombshell. Well, the bombshell is, all of this online abuse will be fodder for her forthcoming memoir. I mean, I don't want to be rude, darling, but nobody's going to be remotely interested in your life. Seriously. The only thing you're famous for is going out with lots of different men. I noticed in somebody's pigeonhole the other day, Caprice Barrett has got her autobiography out. Who? Caprice Barrett. Who? Caprice Barrett. It's like buying Kelly Maloney's book. I mean, who's going who's to buy that? Nobody's going to buy that, are they? Nobody's interested. She's droned on to every television programme about it. It's a point of boredom, thank you very much indeed. Lindsay Lohan always gets good coverage, doesn't she? And, uh, and that's a bit of a rap. Lil Wayne... I don't know anything about Lil Wayne. I do know that Lil Wayne is 32. Took off on a flight the other day and sparked up a joint on the flight. A joint. How dated. How sweet in 70s. Apparently, he said to him, informed the pilot, that he and the entourage wanted to smoke during the flight, but was told in no uncertain terms it was strictly forbidden. So when the uh, his passengers lit up anyway, the pilot turned the plane around and landed 17 minutes after the wheels took off. <laughs> Get off, stupid person. I've told you there's no smoking. Dumbo Lil Wayne. And also they had photos of the of the lollipop singer uh, who was ha- had to sit at the airport waiting for a car to come and collect him again. Ridiculous, isn't it? What a stupid person. What's he, what, are these people really that dumb or do they think that they're clever enough? He's informed them, I'm going to be smoking. No, you're not. It's an aeroplane. Yeah, I'm gonna be, me and my entourage are going to be smoking. No, you're not. So he lights up, they turn the plane round, get off. Peasant, honestly. These people are so dumb, they really are. A bit like watching Kanye West at Glastonbury. Worst. I keep saying every day now, just so it sinks in with everybody, that I thought it was the worst performance of anybody, anybody I've ever, ever seen uh, at, at, at a stage in Glastonbury. It was amateurish, it wasn't interesting. He was pathetically dull and boring. Eight four eight five zero. Steve at lbc Ricardo, listening uh, to the uh, to the program this morning. Driving into work, which is fantastic. I, I like things like that. Uh, a lot of people talking about the sausages. The, the, the British have lost the love of sausages. I'm slightly disturbed by this. Slightly disturbed because I'm, I'm trying to sort of resurrect it. And let's do it one stage at a time. We've got you back to the uh, to the seaside. And perhaps we'll get you going to buy Cat Stephen's Greatest Hits. Remember the one, I love my dog as much as I love you. King, Good, isn't it? It was all sort of, it was so much simpler then, as they say. Quarter past six.
0: On LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. 6.20. I'll run through the front pages of the papers in a moment. And Val says yesterday, three of us received a Customer Service Excellence Award out of 460 staff, a certificate and a bottle of Prosecco, which I shall share with my girls on another Wine Wednesday, carrying on the Steve Allen standard of great customer service and being recognised for it. Good for you. Good for you. I did Prosecco yesterday. We had a very nice couple of bottles of Prosecco, which went down very well indeed. Uh, explain to... I don't sometimes understand why why people complain in this country. We're all known for complaining, but this is something completely ridiculous. This is um, the golf commentator Peter Alice, who sparked a fresh sexism row the other day. What on earth could he have said, ladies and gentlemen, that was so, so over the top and just awful? He said, uh, after the Open winner, Zach Johnson, he said... Open winner, Zach Johnson's wife, will want the prize money for a new kitchen. Okay, what's the matter with that? Oh, no, out they came. Out they came. Nick Faldo's manager, Leslie ann Wade, tweeting, can't believe he can say this. Oh, God in heaven. What is the matter with these people? Get over yourselves. She'll want the prize money for a new kitchen. Well, that's it. That's sexist straight away, isn't it? Good heavens above. Take him out and hang him. He's 84. You know, and then Nick Faldo's manager, Leslie Ann Wade, can't believe he can say this. Really? I need to get a life, dear. Come out and smell the coffee. Come out into the real world with the rest of us. I'm so bored with these people. You can't say anything nowadays, can you? You're fat. <laughs> but you are. <laughs> not why they don't understand it. Uh, George Clooney's upset the locals. Uh, this is his uh, mansion. Oh, this is... It's not actually... It's not in Lake Coma. I do apologise. This is in Sonning on Thames. He said he hoped to be treated as another member of the local community. Why? Why would, you, why would you want to be treated like another member of the local community? Don't be so silly. Anyway, he says he enjoyed downing pipes in the local pub. Uh, and then he and his, uh, his wife, Amal, uh, said they were concerned about security issues. And so what they've done is they've got cameras installed. Uh, Two months ago it approved the Clooney's plans for a new swimming pool pool house, home cinema and annex and a replacement river house, despite the parish council objections, and now eight wooden poles with CCTV cameras and ten CCTV cameras on the property so he's going to have 18 spy cameras why don't you just go live somewhere else Mr Clooney, make it so much easier for you we'd hate you to sort of, you know, ingratiate yourself to the local community with 18 spy cameras what do you think, they're going to be creeping in and knocking on your bedroom window or something? Oh, blimey, if you're that insecure, go live somewhere else. Don't want you over here, thank you very much indeed. Bad enough with her. Uh, other stories in the papers? We like this one. The, the story about the falling in love with the British seaside, I do like, and I think we've, we've managed to sort of, you know, jog a few memories this morning. But there is a Second World War hero who made his granddaughter's dream come true when he walked her down the aisle at the grand old age of 101. Ex-paratrooper William McLean, a veteran of the D-Day landings, stepped in after Sarah Morrison said she had no-one to give her away on her wedding day. The death of his wife, Mari, last year, and that of his son, also William, Sarah's dad, from cancer 11 years ago, hit the tight-knit family hard. But despite his grand age, the retired GP from Edinburgh stepped in to walk her down the aisle. She says, we've always been very close. I absolutely adore him. He was very happy when we were engaged, so we thought it'd be a happy thing for him to look forward to. Isn't that nice? And there's some lovely pictures in the paper. 101, and still moving. I know people of, you know, much lesser years who aren't moving at all, but 101. So I like a nice story. It's always nice to finish the programme with, you know, sort of a nice story. There's also the story in Express today of patients. They shouldn't be sent home from hospital too soon. And it always reminded me of the carry-on where one of these stars was sitting in bed waiting for the birth. And, of course, she's eating as much food as she can. And they go, well, this is ridiculous. We're going to have to induce. She goes, no, no, I'm fa- it'll happen. It'll happen naturally. And uh, in the meantime, i will have some more of that uh, spaghetti bolognese and have some more of that shepherd's pie. And that's what people do now. Although, actually, I think that must have been in a different time because nowadays nobody hangs around hospitals for the food, do they? You generally get people to bring stuff in. Could you bring in... Anything? Grapes? Watsits? Who cares? Just bring something in, please. And so they do. Uh, Spotted film star Sharon Stone getting a manicure in Beverly Hills and Sigourney Weaver getting a a few double takes looking around shops in Port Isaac. Do you know, I wouldn't know Sigourney Weaver if she stood up and waved at me. Seriously, I wouldn't know her. I mean, I I would probably know her from the films, but I don't know enough about her. Uh, Woody Allen admits, because he's now approaching the octogenarian stage of his life. He turns 80 in December. He's had to give up everything he loves in order to maintain a clean bill of health. Cholesterol will kill me, and I'm trying to live long, so I've given up all the joys in life. He says, my father lived to 100, and he smoked Chesterfields every morning, ate two eggs in the morning, and also ate ribs and ice cream. Oh, how lovely. Ribs and ice cream. Not necessarily together. Not necessarily together. Are 37 million cheaters about to be caught out? Anna is doing that. And here's the man... He's a chip shop owner. He's been all over the place recently at the centre of a hearing in the highest court in the land as he disputed an £85 parking charge, like many of you would want to do. Barry Beavis from Chelmsford in Essex was outraged when he was stuck with the bill by a management company, Parking Eye, after overstaying the two-hour permitted free parking at the Riverside Retail Car Park in his hometown. He challenged it in Cambridge County Court in May, lost, challenged it again in the Court of Appeal, where judges ruled the fee was clearly signposted and legitimate. Now he's going all the way to the Supreme Court, where he's claiming the charge was excessive, unfair and legally unenforceable. He's got the backing of leading motoring uh, Organisation Steve Gooding, director of the RAC Foundation, said, It's difficult to overestimate the importance of this case. Each year, three million drivers are pursued by private parking firms to get them to pay penalty charges. It's a vast enterprise. Edmund King from AA said private parking enforcement is driven by the need for financial revenue. It's time drivers' rights were better protected. Seven judges are examining the case in the Supreme Court as part of an analysis of legal issues relating to penalty clauses. It's very difficult, isn't it, to try and stop people parking. If it is clearly written up and it's clearly on the board saying, if you overstay your welcome, then you are liable to a parking ticket, then, you know, so be it. I knew a clamper who used to operate in Twickenham, where I am, in, a, in a, a private piece of land. And he would sit in his van and just wait for people to pull in. And even though there were notices everywhere, people thought they would risk it and run to the shops. There was a guy the other day. He parked up on the pavement in Twickenham so he could go into the bank. I tell you, it's days you want to be a traffic warden, isn't it? Where you think, I'm going to have you. I'm definitely going to have you. Just to ruin your day. There we go. Photograph, Got you. Caught. £100 fine. Simple as that. Because as Clive Bull pointed out once, you know, they only give you a ticket if you've broken the law. If you haven't broken the law, they're not going to give you a ticket. It's like speeding or, or anything else. 8 for LBC Steve at LBC.co.uk. Apparently the very best of Cat Stevens. Says Trevor. 24 tracks for £5.99. Woo! Unbelievable. That's it for this morning. Thank you very much indeed for your uh, for your company. Thank you for your texts. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for everything. Thanks to DHL for the, uh, for the help, Gary and Alan. Thank you very much indeed. And I shall try and pop up today. Uh, I've got an interview to do today for In Conversation for this weekend. We did Carol Vorderman the other day. You'll be hearing her this weekend. She's always nice. Always nice. And the one today is going to be just as nice, I know. It's another lady. You can listen to LBC whenever and wherever you like by downloading the LBC app. It's on the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. If you missed any of today's show, there's the LBC podcast app available on iPhones and now Android phones as well. I'll be back tomorrow at 7 no, so I won't. At four, at seven. What am talking about? <laughs> the momentary lapse, then. At four until 6.30. You can follow me on Twitter, at Steve Allen Show. At seven, it's Nick Ferrari and the team. But next up, it's Lisa Aziz with the morning news.
0: This is LBC.